the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga and this is episode number 741, that is 741 or 742 actually, it's not 741, it's 742, thank you for checking in to the Agostino Zynga show, episode number 742, I do hope you are having a swell day wherever you are and I hope you have the rest of the day that is amazingly swell, amazingly good, amazingly happy and you're happy hydrated and you're limber and all of that good stuff how have i been you know how i've been all good everything in between i cannot complain i cannot complain actually i can that's the whole point of a podcast right complaining about stuff that you cannot control one thing that i've been seeing myself complaining about a lot that i've been really into has been the prevalence or the the occasions that i've been oddly bumping into situations where i see a big group of police officers crowded around somebody in the street and it's usually a really inoffensive mistake no it's usually a really inoffensive sort of like situation on the face of it now who knows they could be stopping a mass murderer this person could be a serial rapist who knows but for the most part whenever i'm walking down or walking around my area off to go do the grocery run or just perusing and doing what flipping humans do when they walk around the flipping town that they live in I more often than not see a group of police officers surrounding somebody who looks like me. And I don't know what it is about the situations because I'm not a bad dude. I'm not a thug. I'm not a gangster. I'm not a criminal in any way, shape or form. But I do see those situations and I, there's just something inside me. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. I just start bubbling with rage. And I have found it really impossible not to shout something at these police officers. Now, I know I should be doing this because most likely it's going to get me in trouble one day and you're probably not going to see for or hear from me in about four months and then they'll come out and I'll say hey guys guess what I was in prison because I decided to involve myself in a situation that has nothing to do with me but part of part of my wanting to like I don't know help or say things has now got me to the point where I start screaming and shouting obscenities and you know curse words sometimes at police officers who are surrounding somebody and asking them questions you know like what a waste of fucking money the taxpayers money going to this flipping bull crap go and do a go and go and do your do go and do your job properly what are you doing there's probably somebody out there committing an actual crime what are you wasting your time with this person for like legitimately and the other day i did it and i kind of felt a little bit dumb because the person i did it for was the guy you know i'm sure most of you have it you have your resident dude in your area who kind of has the big speaker and plugs in their phone right and starts playing tunes i'm sure you guys have it there's a really funny drewski skit about the dude who has who's kind of the guy that puts a, a big speaker on the back of his little bike um, and he rides that around town and purposely you know stops in front of certain places and wants people to ask him questions and kind of you know is a bit annoying we have the same type of personality in the uk but the personality we have in the uk usually has um, a wheelable speaker so it's kind of one that you put on like a little 
you know a little cart thing and he wheels it around and he basically plays random songs and usually he stands outside of pubs and bars and stuff and you know wants to get chatting with people and whatever and generally it's quite annoying generally to just like you know hear this fucking horrible um you know pa system blaring out this inaudible flipping music right usually some happy days or some sort of nonsense tune there it's kind of annoying but part of me just was enraged to see this black man be surrounded by like 10 police officers questioning him because of his speak i'm like bro are you really going to be hounding this man because of a speaker? Like, is this really what our taxpayers' money is going to, our tax-paying money, sorry, is going to, to basically fund you taking off the streets these guys when there's actual murderers and rapists and people like that and diddlers on the street running free? But then a part of me also thought, like, what am I doing? Is this basically a cry for help in my inside my inside my own psyche? Am I in need of, like, some actual real hobbies? Do I need some actual real conflict in my life that i'm trying to insert myself in these situations that have absolutely nothing to do with me and most likely i have no idea what's actually really going on because for all i know that guy with a speaker could be a diddler that guy with a speaker could be a rapist he could be a murderer who they're basically questioning and here i am flying in with my blm cape thinking that i'm actually doing anything <laughs> you know that's the real losery side of this whole thing i'm flying into my blm cape thinking i'm helping when really I'm taking away from their work, I'm distracting them, I'm making the you know situation way more um, tense than it needs to be, and I should really mind my business. So I've kind of figured, <laughs> even though I had a short run of being a social justice warrior, I've figured it's not for me. It really isn't for me. As much as it's enraging to be a black man living in this world and to see disproportionate levels of attention and force be applied to you because you just look the way you do it's absolutely annoying which is really dumb as well because if you look at most statistics in inner cities you're more likely to get assaulted or attacked or in whatever by somebody that looks like you as opposed to someone who looks like me that's the actual dumb thing about the situation in most inner cities in most metropolitan cities in the western world you are most likely to get attacked or robbed by somebody that looks like you from the same race as you as opposed to some big scary black person but in the media police will make it believe that it's the big group of black dudes that are the ones that are going to fuck you over and really if you're white it's going to be somebody that looks like you if you're asian so hence so forth and so on right but for some reason, the way they flipping frame it in the media, it's always like the big black dude is a fucking scary boogeyman out there. And it's absolutely annoying. But I guess it kind of is what it is. I guess it kind of is what it is. Over the weekend, I also ended up going to um, this lovely, nice little Korean restaurant we have here in London. Or this kind of um, branch that's opened up all across London, maybe in other parts of the UK also, called Bunsik. And they serve a style of... Um, Korean street food which is it's basically loads of stuff that's been deep fried so you have um, sausage corn dog type of things and stick that are deep fried um, you have ones that are covered in little little bits of potato with cheese on the inside that are deep fried you have um, fries you have hot wings um, you have um, sweet and sour hot wings like just basically those type of things that you know and love and more than you know the food was quite decent not gonna lie the actual quality of it wasn't too bad um i had one of these kind of classic corn dogs um which wasn't the best because it wasn't 
hot it was sort of like room temperature but this sort of um hot dog here that's covered in this sort of like you know um chippy potato type of garb and then it's got all cheese on the inside was fucking sublime you probably couldn't eat more than two of these because it's pretty rich um quite heavy and it does you know there is a lot of cheese in there but maybe if you're a real big cheese head you could probably devour the whole entire thing but one thing that was really funny about the situation and something i just wanted to kind of enter into the conversation was just it's been a long time since i've been somewhere especially in a food establishment where people or you get really bad service and because i think for the most part social media and influencers have basically in a weird way up the standards of service in most restaurants and bars because everyone is in fear that the next person that comes in with a smartphone has a pretty decent following on social media and they might you know basically lead to your establishment going under if you don't serve them right they're flipping you know espresso martini so everybody's on their best behavior but sometimes because of most likely because of the area i live in you know normally cares about social media over here you sometimes go to establishments where the workers are like they're from a bygone era like the, an era where social media didn't exist and you could kind of get away with working like an absolute piece of shit and that's what i encountered when i went to the bunsik that i went to the other day we had a worker there that just legitimately didn't want to be there was refusing to kind of like understand our order um was being really dour and just short and just an awful like the type of person where you, i was trying my best to kind of like you know get them warmed up or make them laugh or something and they just weren't having it they just didn't want to be no the kind and again we've all been there you've had those kind of jobs where you like you just turn up one day like you're not in the mood and you know this person clearly wasn't in the mood and it was such a throwback it was such a throwback to have that kind of level of service because you don't get it anymore. Everyone's like, you know, a Pret-a-Manger basically employee, fake happy, fake hat, fake, um, you know, over ecstatic to see you, wants to give you the best service because, you know, their KPIs are basically tied to it. Maybe they have some sort of incentive in terms of bonuses. So even though it's not coming from a real place, they're going out of their way to be on the best behavior. But now, but, you know, going to that place we went to the other day, I was like, wow, man, this person really doesn't give a shit about providing good service. And they're just, you know, doing shit as they please. And it kind of made me laugh because I thought to myself, in most cases, every place I've worked at, if you don't try and you kind of act like you don't want to be there and you're in a bad mood, it actually negatively affects your work, not anybody else's. And it actually makes a day go way longer than what it needs to be. It actually makes the job feel way more laborious than it probably is. It probably doesn't, and again, it's kind of counterintuitive and maybe it feels a bit lame to try and be enthusiastic, but actually try, giving a shit about what you do, no matter how crappy your job is, is actually a beneficial to you. It's actually going to make the day go faster. Um, you might get the benefit of having a good review. And it's just a nice experience all around. But that whole like, I don't want to be there, long face, you know, short answers, not understanding customers' questions, asking them to repeat a million times, you know, moving at a snail's pace when you're tapping on the screen. It's just like on a till so it's just like, God almighty, bro. Like, come on, man. Come on. Like, it's not our fault you have to work here. It really isn't. Like, do us a favor act you know somewhat professionally act like you want to be here and just put the order through quickly and it wasn't happening and it probably did explain why there was some you know again maybe it's an age thing as well i can see maybe it's my, my you know i'm advancing in ages but i was standing there thinking hold on why is there like seven people behind the till 
two people behind in the kitchen and the queue is this long it's like it doesn't need to be this long but definitely as i got to the till and this person was working it kind of was a reminder okay cool the reason why the two, the queue is so long is because half of these people don't want to be here and it's kind of impacting the quality of the food but apart from that i really did enjoy it i forgot what this um korean dish is which has got all the seafood in it that was really good too this um mixed pot that they got as well that was really nice um but that classic corn dog the one covered with all the potatoes and the cheese on the inside was absolutely sublime and again if you're familiar or if you're a fan of korean street food i'm sure most of you have been to a bunsik before but i do recommend you check it out because it's absolutely lovely had a good time there and again um quite decent prices too a couple of corn dogs uh a side of, of that soup whatever it's fucking called and some drinks came up to about 20 quid so not too shabby um i wouldn't really probably bother with the chicken burger although they have chicken burgers there i might actually try the korean flipping hot wings because they do 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 a mean hot wing over there as well so that might be an option but decent enough if you want a quick little bite and you want something different than what they actually serve in most of these sort of places in metropolitan london anyway but yeah bunsik was pretty decent bunsik was pretty pretty decent moving on from that i also decided to go back into the vault and re-watch season one of prison break because i was curious to see if it was as good as i remember i kind of managed to get through a couple episodes and i just went online and watched a recap like god bless youtubers who put together recaps of old shows because they do a really good job in terms of giving you the kind of overview of what basically happened and i have to say it definitely was as good as i remember prison break season one was really good really ahead of its time and i forgot how in depth or how much detail they went into some of the side characters backstories and plots that's what i forgot obviously it focused on the f of the two main characters protagonists right but it did actually do a good job of fleshing out the stories of all the other people attached to the absolute story overall it was actually quite decent enough i literally forgot about it and it was quite cool to see um but jesus christ i've never i think prison break is only probably close to lost in terms of its ability to fall off a cliff lost fall off a, fell off a cliff but i think prison break might have had the biggest fall off ever in the history of series because from season two onwards it turns into an absolute shit show i remember i stopped watching it because they went back into prison i remember that was my main thing they they did this whole elaborate thing of like breaking out of prison then they have to go back in and i was like nah you know what i mean I, I was just i was out completely from then on but obviously i should have been aware of what was happening because of the fucking name of the show but the the, the latter season season two three four and five yo some of the plot points were absolutely insane and essentially what happens in in prison break throughout the entirety of the seasons not to spoil anything is basically this people keep dying but then they're not really dead <laughs> that's basically the premise of the whole show people die but they're not actually dead everybody's kind of like you know everybody faked their own death it's a constant back and forth of that you're not really just sure if somebody actually died and that's the actual disappointing thing about the the show because i think some of the big deaths that happened in season one are actually part of what make the show good it's actually what gives it some weight some value some of the people that self-expire some of the abuse that goes on some of it's implied some of it's not even that detailed all these things actually add layers add texture add depth emotion um you know to the actual show but then when they when they start playing around with it as a plot point it sort of took away from the entirety of the show it really fucking did um but 
God almighty, man. What an amazingly, amazingly good show. But it's interesting because this show was great. But then I remember checking back. I remember looking, doing a little Google and finding out that the main guy in the show years later came out as gay, right? And the funny thing about him coming out as gay was he said in one of the interviews, I think with the Gay Times, he was like, oh, I'm never going to play a straight role again. I'm always going to play a role that's kind of, you know, um, um, what you call it, related to my sexuality so I can represent the people, you know, who basically identify the way I identify with. And the first thing that came to mind was like, rah, how bad must it have been working on that set for him to be like i'm never doing a straight role because i find it quite interesting because i actually find it cool that he was able to play that role and you didn't really get i didn't really feel like you know he didn't come across gay on the fucking role i don't know how you're meant to come across gay but you know he was a pretty much a bit of a heartthrob ladies fucking loved him and fell in love with him for the minute he came on the screen and shit so i just find it interesting that the show did so much damage to this guy's psyche that he was like, nah, never playing a straight role again, even though he fucking smashed it with his eyes closed, to be honest. If, you know, maybe the role didn't require much range. Maybe he was a bit monotone and quiet, whatever. But I think he did a really good job in terms of, you know, the role that he played in the, in the show itself. But reading that, you know, he doesn't want to play straight roles anymore was fucking hilarious. Um, but Prison Break Season 1, 100% is definitely gold star level of tv and it's a shame that we don't get those type of shows anymore it's a shame that most shows have like pilot seasons like that and then they fall off a cliff i don't know if it's because a writer strike i don't know if it's because the writers leave i don't know if it's because the executives start to like put their fucking fingers in the pie i don't know what happens to make such shows start off so good and then end so badly no one's saying it's breaking bad don't get me wrong no one's saying this is just the sopranos no one's saying this is the wire we're not saying it's that level but in terms of like good enough tv to put on that you wouldn't want to change or you don't need to pause or you don't need to kind of watch in bits and bobs this is great because i feel like nowadays with tv shows i'm finding myself like really struggling to get through full episodes really struggling to get through full episodes like you pause then you come back to it later on then he made, you know what I mean it's, it's, a, it's a real slog to get through episodes let alone seasons but I feel like Prison Break season 1 was like 25 episodes I think something stupid like that most of the episodes were like 40 to an hour 40 minutes to an hour long and people were getting through that I know I did at breakneck speed so it's, again I would wish we kind of went back to that sort of time probably it's not going to happen anytime soon but I feel like this level of TV where it kind of operates in that kind of mid-level in terms of quality, but also has a good enough plot, um, good enough characters, good enough acting to kind of hold you um, is definitely needed. But wow, Prison Break Season 1 definitely was as great as I remember. And I'm glad I gave it another chance to check it out again. Moving on. Moving on. I also quickly want to mention the result over the weekend regarding United winning 4-2 against Newport County in the FA Cup. Um, let's start with the positives because, you know, I'm going to fucking go in on the negatives. Positives, I'd say, I was really happy to see Altai Bayern there playing in goal. Um, for some reason, we signed this kid as a second-choice goalkeeper. And despite Onana playing absolutely terrible for United in the recent weeks, despite his form being up and down, and despite him being pretty much one of the worst goalkeepers to ever wear the United jersey he's never really been in threat of having his spot come into contention he's never been dropped never been rotated um, he's one of the players that seems to always play despite their form 
So it's been pretty frustrating as a United fan not to see the player that we signed as a number two get a chance to play. So it was great to see him play, even though he only played because, you know, um, Onana's away at that time with Cameroon and African Nations Cup, although Cameroon are out now. So I'm guessing Onana will come straight back in and Altebendi will go on the bench. So for the game itself, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think if anything, Altebendi looked basically much, I thought he looked way more comfortable on the ball than Onana. As a goalkeeper, not much to judge really. Again, I think two of the goals that were scored, he couldn't really do anything about. Um, I thought he commanded the air pretty well, balls in the air, he did okay with with, so I'm happy with that um, I'd also say happy to see Martinez playing I think his calming influence is really necessary his ability to receive the ball you know in tight spaces was very necessary too he got um, Altai Bayinda out of a lot of flipping you know um, little scraps and tight positions so that was good to see Kobe Maino playing in midfield obviously amazing um, the kid's only 18 doesn't really score many goals but he took the goal that he scored um, against Newport County very very well incredible finish great to see him play and I'm also going to make a little note for Hoyland I'm not going to lie Hoyland as well it's an absolute nightmare playing for United up front these days he doesn't get much service I think a chart came out recently that said Hoyland has the worst no it says that Hoyland gets the least service of any striker in the top leagues in Europe I think something like that crazy stat so the fact that Hoyland does a graveyard shift on his own playing up front for May United and still is able to score, I think, eight goals in a season. He deserves all the applause, all the praise. That's all the positives out of the way. Let's go to the negatives. I thought it was an absolute diabolical game in that Newport County, if I'm not mistaken, are in League Two of the English football pyramid. United are in the Premier League, then there's a championship, then there's League One, then there's League Two. Newport County are in the fourth tier of professional football in the English League. And for most of the, what for the what's it, majority, let's say the majority of that game, that we were level two two. We scored two goals in the first half, two very good goals. I feel like team goals, um, even though Garnacho did a really bad job in terms of not killing the game with another chance that could have made it 3-0 before the first half. But I thought that in the first half, we dominated most of the play. We should have probably put them to bed. A professional team does that. You put those teams to bed. We didn't. Um, we then concede us. We concede one goal before the half, uh, before the first half ends. A deflection, long range shot, but I thought the shot was very well taken. Um, again, you know, I guess defending wise, a lot of defenders there kind of watching the ball, turning their backs to it. Deflection, it kind of loops over Binder, goes in, and then the second half starts, and the players come out as they usually do, not really at the races. And of course, Newport County take advantage of it, and they absolutely come out of the blocks firing. And they absolutely score an equaliser, a really well taken equaliser. And since and from then on, it was a real backs against the wall, backs against the wall performance. And if anything, we scored against the run of play to make it 4-2 in the end, those two extra goals. But for the majority of that second half, we were really playing at Newport County's level, which again was embarrassing because a lot of their players are semi-professional. Um, and the fact that that was happening, I think is a bad indication, it's a bad is reflection on the current level of the players we have, the level of coaching, and just, you know, where we are as a club overall. That was a really sad thing to see, that we're at a level now as a club where we can't really afford to play our second team because we have no real style of play. The second team players don't really actually get a run out of team, you know, don't get enough minutes because the manager doesn't believe in rotating. We have to play then play our strongest teams against these players, against these type of teams and these competitions where really most teams are rotating. And then when the strongest team does play, they always fly to deceive. So it's a really 
excruciating time to be a United fan watching these troglodytes you know roll out on the pitch every single weekend it's absolutely brutal to watch us play I'm not gonna lie brutal even more so when we need a goal or we need to shore things up or whatever and the first substitution to come off on that bench is fucking Scott McTominay I don't know what the fuck Scott McTominay has on some of our managers why he seems to be the darling of some of these players or some of these coaches, even um, United fans, myself included, see him play every week and you can just tell he's not a good football player. The best thing that he can do is attack and even that isn't that great. And for some reason, he's the first choice off the bench all the fucking time. And every time he does come on, he's fucking awful. He's probably about Newport County level anyway. And then people like Amadiala don't get a chance to play. Pleshi doesn't get a chance to play. And instead you bring on the likes of fucking Scott McTominay, the likes of Johnny Evans, the likes of Harry Maguire. Like fucking hell, bro. Really? Is this what we're doing against Newport County? The fact that we had to line up against Newport County with a midfield of Casemiro, Mayno and Fernandez says everything about where we're at. The fact that we had to line up with those three players tells you how worried Erickson Harding is about his job and how desperate we are that we can't actually have a second string team play against Newport County and get the results it's absolutely diabolical then of course we have to kind of highlight some situations and positions Anthony Anthony might be the worst United winger I've seen in a long time mostly because of his price tag a lot of players get judged harshly because of their price tag but I think unfortunately for some most players price tags are an indication of where you stand level wise and how people should be looking at you as a player but if you get signed for 80 million you have to be putting in 80 million level of performances or at least be that level of importance to your team and the fact that Anthony is really struggling even against Newport County even on paper he played well because he got an assist and a goal is really indicative of where we are as a team or where we are as a club in our horrendous scouting because Anthony probably is worth 40 million if that the fact that we had to pay double for him and the fact that he happens to be one of our worst attacking players really goes to show where we're at as a club the other one Garnacho. maybe in a bigger team a more established team Garnacho probably wouldn't even start for us he'd be an option off the bench he wouldn't be a first teamer and he wouldn't be relied on as heavily as he is and he would definitely would be a player that would be hooked at half time if he decided to be as green as he was in the first half he had the prime opportunity I think we were winning 2-0 to square the ball into the middle of the, of the box to either Bruno running into the area or Hoyland behind him and instead he decided to cut in no he decided to kind of shoot from his left foot at a really hard angle it obviously hit the post so it was close enough but still you increase your chances of scoring if you pass it into the box from an own goal or an opposite or your own player kind of kicking it into the fucking net he doesn't he goes for goal it hits the fucking crossbar and he doesn't even seem like he's bothered in the top team i think he would have got hooked at half time or maybe right then he would have got hooked bruno fernandez screams at him hoyland screams at him and he doesn't really act like he even cares and I think that's indicative, again, of where we are as a club that a kid like Garnacho is allowed to just do whatever the fuck he wants on the pitch. And he's allowed to kind of go for shots on the pitch that he probably should never go for, which might have ended up costing us that 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 league tie, that, sorry, that, that cup tie. Because if we don't score that, I think if we score that third goal, um, Newport County don't come out the way they did in the second half. The fact that we didn't score that third goal, they obviously didn't think we were that good <laughs> and they didn't respect us too much. They come out in the second half, only one goal down, and they think, you know what, if we actually go at these guys, we can actually get something. And guess what? They did. 
49 minutes, I think, they scored their fucking second goal, didn't they, if I'm double-checking? Yeah, they did. 47 minutes, actually, from Will Evans. Absolutely embarrassing, legitimately embarrassing. Anthony's goal on the 60th minute was well taken, a deflection, no, sorry, uh, when the goalkeeper palmed it out and he knocked it back into the goal. But him celebrating the way he did, you know, getting on his knees and pointing to the sky, kissing the badge against Newport County. Have some fucking shame. Have some shame. Rasmus Hoyland at the end getting his goal. I was happy to him to get his goal again. Graveyard shift. Didn't get much joy. If you saw his kit um, playing for United, you know, he's covered in fucking mud and grass stains. So he was really in a battle, which I don't really like from him, to be honest. I think he should really tame that down. He loves to get physical and get into battles with defenders too much. He needs to be a bit more cuter and come off the ball or come off the defender and receive the ball a bit short and spin into the space maybe a bit more. But still, regardless, happy that he got his goal. Well-deserved, even though he basically made it himself but all in all absolutely terrible performance maybe a decent result going forward I think eventually we will pay the price for how badly we play and how much we rely on individual brilliance but it's another cup competition we're through so good things coming there next on the list we also have to talk a little bit about the Marcus Rashford situation so Marcus Rashford didn't play against Newport County because he allegedly called in sick and said he was unwell and then unfortunately for him the British tabloids got a piece of footage available or got a hold of some footage that showed Marcus Rashford coming out of some nightclub in Belfast looking a little bit weary looking a little bit drunk and whatever it may be so that was maybe the real reason why he called in sick um the situation was brought up to Ericsson Hogg hey this player was called in sick and obviously he was gonna do what happened and Ericsson Hogg replied that it was an internal matter they were dealing with it internally and I think the issue with this is more so that not really about Rashford, what he does in his free time. I don't really care what players get up to in their free time to a certain extent. I think it's always most important what players do on the pitch um, because, you know, we don't really know what these players do anyway in their free time, cause, you know, for, for lack of a better term. But obviously, if they can perform on a match day, that's the most important thing. The issue with Marcus Rashford is that he's been poor for United for a while. I think fans have seen it. Fans have seen that he's been bad for United for a while. It took a long, long time for the manager to finally see it and drop him, um, which basically caused a lot more fans to turn on him because I feel like if the manager would have dropped him when he was actually not playing well, it definitely would have called or calmed a lot of the vitriol against him. But the fact that he was not playing well, the manager was turning a blind eye to it, kept on playing him, definitely ramped up people's frustration, especially with the bad results and then it feels like it feels like the manager has these favorites and allows certain people to get away with certain things because if you're going to chastise Jaden Sancho for not training to a certain standard even though he trains and he's there but then Rashford can call in sick when he's not sick um, and then obviously only be exposed because of the video it just shows a different level of treatment when it comes to certain different players and of course people like myself you know don't really like that sort of thing because I feel like in general it kind of lends to a not the greatest environment in the dressing room when you know that certain players can get away with certain things well the update is interesting the update from the club lately or just now breaking news is that Marcus Rashford takes full responsibility for his actions after missing the Newport County game 
So the update here is that Man United say the club has dealt with it internally and Mark Rashford after the absentee from the 4-2 win against Newport. Uh, the original guidance given Rashford's assessment was that he was an illness but United said in a statement on Monday Marcus has taken responsibility for his actions. This has been dealt with as a turn of matter which is now closed. So the situation is over now according to United and Rashford is going to be available for selection for the game on Thursday and will be trading with the team as per normal. Now, this is obviously not that bad on paper because it's definitely proof that with Ericsson Hogg, if you just say sorry, he forgives you. Because I think the same thing with Jaden Sancho. He said to Jaden Sancho, you say sorry, then it's going to be okay. I think the main issue is that he's been basically, it feels like giving preferential treatment in that his ability to like come back straight back into the team and train, even though he lied about the reason why he wasn't available for selection. Because you think in other big teams, even if he admitted his mistakes or he owned up to it, the fact that he lied and called in sick and he got exposed for it. Think about it. Even in any workplace, if you lied and said you were caught, you caught, you said you were caught sick. Imagine you called in sick for work and it was revealed that you weren't sick and you lied because you were hungover or whatever. You'd get in trouble. Would you get fired on the spot? Maybe not, but it would definitely be something, a blotch on your record. It definitely wouldn't allow you to, I don't know, partake in some fun things at the office, whatever it may be. It definitely would be something that would, you know, tarnish your reputation. And actually, maybe in some place you actually might get fired. So the fact that he's been able to come straight back into the team and train again is a really bad indictment of where he are as a club. But I feel like overall, this doesn't send the best message. Even though this has obviously been dealt with the right way because he apologised, I still feel like at a big club, you think of someone like a Man City, when you think of the situation that happened with Cancelo, he had a couple of tete-a-tetes with Pep and Pep just benched him or basically, you know, exiled him from the squad and that was it. And obviously he was sold um, at the next available kind of window. And that was more to do with Pep basically moving on and saying, hey, we're not going to play Cancelo as an inverted fullback anymore. We're moving on and playing other players or playing another way. And Cancelo obviously didn't take it too well because obviously he wants to start, he wants to play games and shit. And he had a, you know, a, a conflict with Pep and that led to him leaving the club. I felt like this situation could be one of those. If you actually do want to assert some level of dominance, if you actually do want to re, you know, readdress the imbalance of power at the club and not make it so player power heavy, you probably do make an example out of Marcus Rashford. You probably do use this as an example because you feel like, hey, he's actually the marquee player. He's obviously the, the you know, the golden boy of United. Um, you actually make an example out of him so that every other player knows that this new era of this and in your partial ownership doesn't pull any punches. The fact that that didn't happen for me is indicative or is another example as to where we are as a club and the fact that nothing's going to change um, just because we've got the Glazers involved. It doesn't matter the partial ownership, who's doing the sporting direction of the club. The fact that the Glazers are still involved is the reason why Marcus Rashford is still at the club now and the reason why they collectively swept this situation under the rug because this is pretty bad. This is equivalent to gross misconduct at any sort of workplace and he's been basically given a slap on the wrist and everything's been dealt with completely okay, which is kind of heinous if you think about it, especially when you consider how other players have been kind of dealt with. But hey, what can you do? What can you do? Moving on from that, I quickly wanted to mention and do a little review of Skepta's latest track called Gas Me Up, um, aka Diligent. I've really enjoyed this and I have to say... um. Although I'm a big Skepta fan, I feel like some of his music sometimes can be a little bit, I won't say formulaic, it can maybe sound a bit samey. And it obviously has to do a lot more with his voice and maybe the actual tune itself. But I felt like the way he started this record, um, the way it's kind of constructed, the vibe around it, 
the lyrics, everything around it really does lend itself to me being excited about this new album coming out called Tribal Marks because this record is so good. Number one, he's got Cardo on the production and I love how it starts almost like he starts it, um, he starts the first which kind of leads into the chorus, which is also, I don't have to describe how that bit of songwriting works, but it essentially feels like a chorus in the opening verse, which probably because there's no real beat underneath the record itself, but I love how it starts off like a chant and it kind of gives me reminiscent feelings of like, this would be the perfect record to perform at a live performance somewhere, whether it's performing at wireless or his own shows, this is going to go off. People are going to be singing this word for fucking word. It's absolutely fantastic. And I also love the fact that he dropped this with an acapella, which I don't, I'm not sure if this is a standard thing with people releasing singles, I guess, because I don't really listen to singles too often. I'm usually more so on the, um, album listening side of things i wait for the whole project to come out so i can hear everything in totality but i do like how he dropped the acapella version of this record so that people could do their little edits and remixes and you've seen on the timeline especially on my twitter and stuff or mostly on twitter i've seen it um people you know dropping little um edits you know 90s r&b edits um dubstep edits and shit of this record and it's been sick to see and i wish more artists would do that i guess more don't do it because there's a feeling like you want all the streams and all the all the engagement and all the whatever views to go to that one single you don't want it to be split across the acapella but i feel like for the producers out there for the bedroom producers bedroom djs the edit makers and shit having that acapella is absolutely priceless even myself like you know i don't actually produce anything even i'm considering taking an acapella and trying to make something out of it whether it's a techno edit or whatever it may be because it sounds fucking phenomenal really absolutely good um really 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 good um record no sorry the album's gonna be called tribal marks no it's gonna be called knife and fork i think the movie he's doing is called tribal marks one with idris elba but the album itself is gonna be called knife and forks and i'm really 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 um excited for it but i think the record's absolutely phenomenal i really did enjoy it the video is also really good i'm gonna play a bit for you in the background here so you can see it visuals um one of the things i really liked about the video is this um green puma puffer that he's wearing in this video this Puma Puffer is absolutely stupendous. I cannot wait until this drops. I have no idea when it releases, but it definitely looks like one of the best things Puma has done in forever, really. And I cannot wait for it to release. So I think this might be part of the whole collection of the album in general. Maybe it's a collab with Mains. Maybe it's something else that he's doing. But this Puma Puffer that he's got in the actual video itself is absolutely phenomenal. And I cannot wait to see it when it eventually drops. I cannot wait to see it when it does eventually drop. But yeah, definitely check out Skepta, Gas Me Up, Diligent. Um, new album, Knife and Fork, is due to drop very, very soon also. And I love the record, love everything about it. Can't wait to see or hear the album when it does eventually come out. Cannot wait to see it when it does, when it does eventually come out. I really, 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 really cannot really 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 cannot moving on from that one let's talk about this in, in view of rappers in view of rappers let's talk about this because this is absolutely crazy and again i'm just thinking to myself like what possesses these guys to go out to this place and do what they're doing here so um unfortunately for freddo free freddo he's been sentenced to five years in a dubai prison for drug possession 
And most of you will know, I think last year he was arrested um, for possession of drugs. And I think he's been in basically Dubai jail um, before, of guess, I guess, getting sentenced to go to prison for this whole entire time. Um, there's been no real you know, sign of him, no statements, no nothing. He just gets locked up and that's basically it. And the latest update here, courtesy of Shadeborough, is that he's been sentenced to five years in prison. And the funny thing about it is that I read online that he got nabbed with 3.5 grams of weed 3.5 grams of weed some people get through 3.5 grams in one day maybe an hour especially if you're rapping you've got loads of fucking you know loud packs coming your way for free you could probably smoke a you know 3.5 pack in a fucking one session in the studio easy imagine getting put into prison imagine getting sentenced to prison for five years for 3.5 grams can you imagine how depressing that is can you imagine how depressing that must be especially in a place like Dubai, right? The city is like paved in gold, right? It's a, it's the it's basically the quote-unquote European version, even though it's not Europe, but you know, it's the place where Europeans go, which is equivalent to Miami. So most likely he was doing something lavish. Most likely he was on a jet ski the day before. He might, he might have been in a long body. He might have been in a wide body whip. He might have been in a limo. He might have been in a helicopter. He might have been in a crazy suite surrounded by baddies. He might have been doing the most lavish thing the day before this happened. And then the contrast of what happens then from you going to that situation to a Dubai prison for 3.5 grams is absolutely crazy. But I still maintain, I find it absolutely insane why these rappers go to these places knowing how strict these places are and commit such dumb crimes. Surely weed is not that tasty that it would allow you to risk your freedom especially to this level because it's not like you get a slap on the wrist of a month in prison 18 months whatever it may be they give you like years this is always the case i think the last time it didn't happen was with um, dj esco right um futures dj that's the name of that iconic 56 nights out um mixtape they put together back in the day and that whole story if i'm not mistaken uh, he got caught with i think way more than 3.5 grams but i think dj esco describes in an interview i think if i'm not mistaken he got very friendly with people in there and if you know dj esco you read interviews about him or you see him online he's a really bubbly outgoing um super funny guy so you can understand why dj esco would kind of vibe well because if i don't remember i think he said even in the story one of the reasons why he got a good you know he got dealt with well in the dubai prison was because people immediately people initially i think felt thought he was from there because of how he looked he's mixed race dude with dreads or something but i think for some reason they just thought he was middle east or something so i think that kind of you know um you know ingratiated him with some people over there and of course he was also you know very open to talking and chatting and shit and if i'm not mistaken as well part of the, the other bit of the law is that he befriended somebody he befriended like a guard or something i forgot what it was and also if i'm not mistaken um didn't the u.s embassy get involved as well i think so something like that happened so all those things kind of worked in dj esco's favor he's a great he's a nice dude anyway um he was able to befriend some prisoners in there maybe get maybe get friendly with some guards maybe they knew who he was because he's the future's fucking dj who knows and of course the u.s embassy got involved as well but with freddo he's been a menace right he's been in and out of prison his whole career for the most part he's not the most um pc uh person in the world he's not exactly um you know cookie cutter either so you couldn't imagine, I wouldn't imagine the Tories being very enamoured getting involved and helping him out. Yo, big up NJ Ranger, appreciate you. 
I think 56 nights crazy. I yeah, think 56 nights crazy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he knows. He knows. Yeah, big up Andrew Ranger. You know about that mixtape. One of the greatest future mixtapes of all time. Um, but I just can't imagine the UK government getting involved in this considering Fredo's image considering the things that he says um <laughs> considering his music the contents of his music I don't think they're ever going to get involved so and also if you know Fredo you know like he's one of the rappers out there that weirdly enough he kind of glorifies the road life he glorifies the trap he glorifies being a good which is part of the reason why we love him but, you know, he kind of sounds like somebody that would enjoy, um, you know, the fact that he's been given these numbers or he's been put in prison, you know, in a foreign country. He'd probably use it as a bit of bragging rights when he comes out and shit. So probably no one's going to be out there to help him. But I just find it insane, just as a point to make at the end, that people are willing to risk their freedom for weed, especially in a place like Dubai. It seems like a nice place to go to if you have money. If you're into that kind of lifestyle of like going on jet skis, you know, being surrounded by Instagram baddies, wearing APs and shiny jewelry, infinity pools, shisha, um, I don't know, colorful cocktails, whatever that kind of lifestyle is, right? Getting driven around places. It's a nice place to go. Again, it's, it's become like the, it's become the, the Miami equivalent, the European, the European version of Miami for people, for Europeans, but even though it's in the Middle East. Um, so people know Wagwan when they go over there, but they know the rules also. Surely, when you go out there, you could just why don't you suspend your drug use for one day, for one day, for one trip, even suspend your drug use, put it on pause, and then if you want to get back onto the weed, do it when you come back home. Why can't people do that? That's what I'm surprised about. Why can't people do that? Why aren't people allowed or able to put their drug use on pause just to go out there or? Most likely, what I what happens? I bet you is this. I bet you in places like Dubai, even though they've got really strict rules around drugs and the penalties are really harsh, there's probably a really bustling, bubbling um, drug culture underground or behind closed doors. I bet you, like most places are, right? The more stricter they are on paper, like you know, the more you know, the more the more anti, you know, gay a place is usually the most the more time people behind the scenes are getting up to all sorts of manner of, of craziness right it happens in all places but if that's the case you have to do that you have to abide by the rules and also do your shit behind closed doors also do your shit on the sly you can't be out here you can't be out here flipping you know doing the most smoking on the streets and shit thinking you're in london um, or thinking you're anywhere else apart from you know dubai and then get surprised when you get nabbed and you get arrested because part of the reason why i kind of like places like dubai is that the rules apply to everybody across the board i do like that aspect of it personally i wouldn't go there it's not really for me not interested but i do like the fact that the rules apply across the board respect our rules on if you if you don't you're going to get punished doesn't matter how famous you are how rich you are whatever the rules apply across the board and i think that's a good way to sort of like operate or that's a good way to kind of run a country in that respect where people that with money and whatever can't just bend the rules to their favor yes they can do things behind closed doors cool but out in the open nah if you do stuff out in the open you're gonna get punished and the punishment might be five years in prison for 3.5 grams of weed can you imagine can you imagine how fucking annoying that must be because i was watching the other day a clip of um 
police doing a doing a random search of young fug's prison cell right and it's quite depressing to see like young fug living in this shoebox size of a jail cell and think to yourself wow man this guy was at the top of his game widely respected one of the most talented artists of his generation and he goes from living in the laps of luxury being surrounded by all the best and influential people in the scene as he's flipping peers and people that look up to him you know and then he's in this prison but then i was thinking to myself yeah you could feel bad for him but in another way he was also a legit goon according to what he's been you know accused of in court he was running a legit fucking criminal organization gang type of thing so maybe the day of reckoning was always going to be on the horizon for him but in fredo's case he wasn't out here in dubai he wasn't out from what i know he wasn't in dubai running an international gang of mercenaries and shit he was just in dubai chilling out of his brodies right chilling out having a good time and he took it too you know he took it too literally to have a good time and then he got nabbed for smoking out of there in the streets that must be even worse than being young fuck because at least with young fuck you probably know deep down your day's gonna come you're being too flagrant you're doing too many fucking crazy shits you're putting hits on people you're bragging about them in record in records and shit you know most likely your day's gonna come but with freddo you know you're going out there in dubai having a good time and then here smoking a loud pack and then suddenly boom things come tumbling down but yeah, free free Freddo same way. Free Freddo same way. Next, I also want to uh, play this clip because I feel like this clip is very very hilarious because it definitely does relate to this other story that I want to talk to you about regarding the Latino Bob the Builder. Yes, you heard that right. For some reason, for some reason, people out there think it's important to tell bob the builder story through the lens of a latino guy or something absolutely insane but i thought this comment by skepta regarding the black james bond definitely echoes some of my feelings around you know weird race swapping when it comes to certain roles which i feel like are way more offensive than they are to than they are helpful but i'd love to hear what you guys think regarding the situation but here's skepta on the current narrative around black james bond talks of who's going to be the black James Bond and after a while I just kind of got bored of that narrative and you know James Bond is white so I wanted to make a character a superhero for black actors way beyond my time everyone has to suffer a little in life don't they pain you heard that bit right now look at this look at this flipping article come from Variety Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Lopez, yes, Jenny from the fucking block to produce Bob the Builder animated movie at, by, by, at Mattel starring Anthony Ramos. So you see Bob the Builder here, a very Caucasian looking builder character is going to be voiced by Anthony Ramos, very Latino, Hispanic, whatever you want to call it, and produced by Jennifer Lo Lopez. Can you imagine how stupid this is? That we have to what recast Bob the Builder as somewhat Mexican dude because what he happens to be a builder because he's a handyman. <laughs> like what the fuck? Isn't that way more offensive than just actually telling a very touching story about a immigrant family trying to make ends meet in a you know in a crazy world or something? Why would you want to tell it through the prism of Bob the Builder? Like what is this? What the fuck is this? Let's read the article. Bob the Builder's ready to hit the big screen. 
big screen debut of Bob the Builder. The construction worker with a can-do attitude will be subject to a new animated feature film by Mattel. Jennifer Lopez producing <laughs> the Bob the Builder while in the... Oh my God, I didn't even read this part. Is Bob the Builder based in New York Heights? So Bob the Builder will have a New York accent. He'll probably be wearing Tim's. He might have a bucket hat on. Like, oh my God. Bob the Builder in New York Heights will be voiced by Anthony Ramos. A twist on the long-running children's series, Bob the Builder follows Roberto. Roberto, a.k.a. Bob, who travels to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, for a major construction job. According to the official logline, audiences will see Bob as he takes on issues affecting the island and digs deeper into what it means to build. <laughs> what it means to be a builder of hispanic descent right imagine that is that what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna start opening we're gonna start opening trades forget opening a trade school to get more kids into trades into trades right into you know having a skill with their hands now we're gonna have trade schools based on race now we're gonna have black trade schools hispanic trade schools asian trade schools like what isn't it just important to have a generation of kids growing up knowing that the the you know the only way to flip in education isn't the only way? Isn't that most important? Wouldn't that be more important to be like, hey kids, if you're not good with school, if you can't learn in the classroom, here's another way for you to you know be able to afford a, a nice house for yourself, buy yourself a nice little car, start a family. Here's a here's a way to do it by learning a trade. Not based on your fucking race, but based on your ability to support yourself. You would think that would be a good thing, wouldn't you? But hey, what do I know? Let's continue. Bob's journey will celebrate the vibrant and colourful texture of Caribbean Latin nations and their people. <laughs> Felipe Vargas, the up-and-coming Rosario, is attached to write the screenplay. The director has not been announced. Um, pairing Anthony and Felipe, genius vision for the story, will capture the beloved character in a manner that audiences who grew up with Bob will recognise. No, they won't, though. If you've watched Bob the Builder and you recognize that show, you will not recognize Roberto the Builder. That would not happen, right? Come on, man. Um, how do you even say Bob the Builder in Spanish anyway? What would that be? Roberto. <laughs> Honestly, this is terrible. What, what would that be? Bob the Builder in Spanish. What does that mean? How do you actually say that? Is it? Is it? Can we translate this? I want to. I want to. I want to translate this. Give me a translate. Come on. Give me something. Give me something. Ox says Bob el el constructor. So be Roberto el constructor. <laughs> constructor el Bob. Constructor el Roberto or Roberto el constructor. Honestly, this is so insulting. This is so redacted and really, if anything, representative of just how little imagination exists in Hollywood. Because if that's me, I'd want to tell an actual original story um, that actually, you know, is able to inspire and inform people way more than, you know, whitewash or like, you know, not even whitewashing, Hispanic washing. A story that doesn't need to be Hispanic washed. Like, it's so dumb. Um, you could even have Bob the Builder actually the Bob the Builder character, but just have him do some work in Puerto Rico 
What's wrong with that? <laughs> Why not just do that? Why not just have Bob the Builder be white and then just have him do some work for a Puerto Rican family and then tell that side of the story about the differences in terms of different cultures and shit? That would be a good way to do it instead of completely just Hispanic washing him. Like, what is the need of this? Anyway, let's continue. Um, for years, Bob the Builder's character has inspired young people around the world. A movie about friends working together, a celebration of a beautiful home they share and how love can help to conquer any obstacle. Isn't it? What? Is that what Bob the Builder is about? It's about love. Okay. Ramos will also produce Bob the Builder with Alex Bulky and Cory Capodonico. They've got every, every person with an Hispanic surname is attached to this fucking show, isn't it? Hilarious. Um, Elaine Goldsmith Thomas, but there's a few whiteys in there just to keep stuff, you know, because only whiteys can get shit done. So they've got some whiteys there, but anybody that's Hispanic that works in flipping, you know, Hollywood is attached to this. If that was me, I'd be embarrassed. If, if, if I'm actually from Puerto Rico, if I'm from fucking Cuba, if I'm from fucking Venezuela, if I'm from fucking Mexico, if I'm Nicaraguan, I would actually be insulted if the only job I got offered was Roberto El Constructor. That would actually piss me off. Like, how dare you? You don't give me any other roles. I can't write for fucking, what you call it? Um, The Good Wife, right? I can't write whatever else I want to write. But here you are giving me this role. I wonder why. Because my fucking surname is Ramirez. Piss off. Bob the Builder is overseen by Kevin McKeon, Ivan Sanchez, Arturo the 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 course for Mattel, and Nathalie Hack Flores. <laughs> the show's ability to promote positive thinking, problem solving, um, and empowerment with a completely original story set in Puerto Rico um, puts a new spin on the beloved series. We can't wait for the new and existing fans to connect with these amazing characters. Bob the Builder joins a slew of Mattel films in development, including American Girl, a live-action Barney movie. Imagine if they do a Barney movie, but they make Barney black. <laughs> Barney's not even a race. But imagine if they make Barney black. Do you know how insulting that would be? Your big up a a, a army. Bobby Doth the uninsured slash no license builder. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Imagine if they make Barney black. Imagine how embarrassing that would be. Like, hold on, what are you trying to say? <laughs> hold on. That's kind of offensive. Uh, big up our a Elmi. Big up you, mate. Big up you. Um, Ramos represented by CA. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah. Let's see what happens here. But actually, let me see our stats at the end. What does it say here? The company's first theatrical release was Greta Gerwig's majorly successful Barbie, which was distributed. Oh, okay. So Mattel have seen the success of Barbie, and they're thinking, hold on. If we take all our other toy IPs and we make them into movies, what? How much more money could we make? I think, yeah, it's one thing, but imagine if they tried to make an Hispanic version of Barbie, how badly that would have gone down. People didn't like, people didn't like the this version of the Barbie that released, but imagine if they tried to make Barbie from fucking Thailand or some shit. Imagine if, they, imagine if Barbie was from Hawaii. <laughs> imagine how badly that would have done. Honestly, I don't understand this. Like, is it really that hard? to just give Hispanic actors, writers, producers, editors an opportunity to tell actual, real, original stories that actually do a service and actually help to honour and highlight and uplift their culture. Is that really that hard to do? To give these guys an opportunity to actually tell interesting stories based on their folklore, 
based on their traditions, based on their language, based on their family, familial structure, relationships, whatever. How hard could it be to do that? How hard? I'm sure there's plenty of Hispanic people out there who have been pitching stories, pitch, or pitching, you know, scripts for TV shows and movies and shit. Don't get them greenlit. And then Mattel comes in and be like, you know what? Let's get Bob the Builder and turn him, you know, make him Mexican. Like, come on, bro. Really? Is this what we really need to see? We need Bob the Builder from the New York Heights. This is really what we want. We want Bob the Builder in fucking Timberlands and baggy jeans and a high-vis vest, right? With a New York Yankees hat on. <laughs> come on. Riding the A train or whatever they ride to the fucking work, right? <laughs> <laughs> what we're gonna have bob the builder jumping over the barriers <laughs> we're gonna have that scene we have in all shows that depict immigrants right we're gonna have the scene in all shows that depict immigrants where they do a pan over on the table and there's loads of letters with overdue bills oh overdue that's the perfect they always like to depict immigrants like you don't pay your bills you're always in debt you know what i mean you are oh, the base <laughs> you're gonna pan across to bob the builder putting his sandwich oh actually what's his lunch gonna be Bob the builder's definitely not gonna have a lunch he's definitely not gonna have a sandwich is he what's he gonna have he's gonna have paella or something what's he gonna have what's a puerto rican dish i don't know i can't i can't think of it right is it churros i don't know what the puerto rican dish is but he's not gonna have a sandwich right <laughs> oh joe it's gonna be fucking funny man it's gonna be so fucking funny and most likely Bob the Builder will have like one kid that's really westernized, one kid that's more, it's more like, you know, traditional. Oh, so people say mofongo. Okay, mofongo is from fucking, uh, it's, it's a Puerto Rican dish, right? What is mofongo? What is mofongo? Is that a Puerto Rican dish, right? Yeah, mofongo is a Puerto Rican dish, which has plantains as a main ingredient. Mmm. That actually looks quite good. I'm not going to lie. Mofongo actually, mofongo sounds like a racial slur. It sounds like something other Africans will say to other Africans to say the piss out of them, but it does actually look really good. It's basically what? Like a pile of rice or a pile of stuff with like meat on top of it. It looks fucking delicious. I'm not going to lie. I see one with prawns around it. I see one with some lime, right? Oof, it looks fucking banging. So Bob the Builder's going to be... Imagine Bob the Builder taking Mofongo on the fucking building site. God almighty. Imagine eating that for lunch. <laughs> yo you're going to bed you're going to fucking bed but yeah big up bob the builder keep i wouldn't i don't i'm surprised i'm saying this but maybe keep bob the builder white is that possible do i sound maggerish do i sound red pillish when i'm saying keep bob the builder white <laughs> i don't know maybe keep bob the builder white but hey what do i know what do i know Next, move on to this clip, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. So I've mentioned a few times on here that I find the Gen Z kids to be amazing. I find Gen Z kids to be astonishing. And the reason why I find them more astonishing is their attitude towards work. They have the attitude towards work or towards employment that I've had, but I always was looked at as a bit of a rebel, as a little bit, you know, risque with the way that I approach work in that 
I never ty- I never viewed jobs as like my be all and end all. I always used them as like a means to an end, which is which can have its pros and negatives. I feel like if you're a creative person, it's a good thing to sort of like treat your job as like a means to an end because it allows you to maybe focus more of your attention on the stuff that you actually want to do full time, whether art or creative stuff you want to do. But I feel like on the negative side of things, if you keep looking at your nine to five as a means to an end and not like a serious occupation that you should take seriously and you should work hard on, you can sometimes take it for granted you can maybe have a bit of a bad attitude towards it which maybe make you feel like you're above the work or whatever it may be which will then lead to issues at the workplace whatever it may be and just is not the right way to kind of navigate life especially as an adult so it can be you know there's some pros and negatives on both ends but in general when i approach my work or whatever employment i have i'm usually somebody that's very very strict about my hours outside of work I am really, really protective of it because I feel like in some workplaces, unfortunately, I feel like if you're somewhat competent, because there's not a lot of competent people out there in workplaces or people that, you know, there's a lot of people that go above and beyond to do a good job. I feel like when you do do that, sometimes it unfortunately does require you then to do more of it or no, you're expected to do more of it, which then can you take up more of your time. And sometimes it can then start eating away into your free time. And free time, I would say, is any time before or after work. But sometimes when you're working in certain places, depending on how you want to navigate it, it can be very beneficial to sometimes start early and maybe end later. If you want to get a raise, if you want a promotion, if you want to be in the good books of the owner or the founder, if you want to make sure that you're not the first one fired, all these little things help, like going to, going to um, office drinks, going to the Christmas parties, you know, um, taking part in the fucking secret centers. All these things, unfortunately, do help to somewhat protect yourself in the workplaces where it's very cutthroat. And sometimes, in most workplaces anyway, it's not really about the level of the quality of work that you do. It's mostly about your personal relationships they have with people and shit. All that stuff's important. But I do respect the fact that Gen Z kids don't give a fuck about all that shit. And they start work when they're meant to start work. And they end it when they're meant to end it. So if they're meant to start at nine, they start at nine, not 8.55. And if they're meant to end at six, they end at six, not fucking 6.10, 6.15. I admire that. But I think this clip made me feel a little bit like, it made me kind of question my stance because I feel like this kid might have been a little bit in the wrong, a little bit in the wrong, but I'd love to know what you guys think. I'll play the whole entire thing. First, it's the managers or the owners having their opinion, and then you'll hear from the employee replying to the owners. Asked to come in for an 8 a.m. meeting, my Gen Z new hire said, Ugh, sorry, I can't make it. I have a workout class. Should this be allowed? My visceral reaction was, are you fucking kidding me? No, fully, like angered, typing this out. I was like, please. Like my hand's shaking and it's not from the caffeine. You just started this job. I don't give a flying shit about your workout class. Also, an 8 a.m. workout class is too late. Workout at six, yeah. maybe seven. Hi. Yeah, Natalie. So um, we can talk about this more later. But so as you can see, the, the managers are complaining that their new hire, Gen Z hire, wouldn't wasn't able to make an 88 meeting that they only i guess announced the day before or a couple of days before that because they had a gym class they couldn't you know lastminute.com come to the AA meeting and now it looks like the employee replies back to that tweet to that podcast clip whatever on tiktok themselves so this is a very gen z current era type of issue where your boss has a podcast basically airs you out on the pod in public and then you get to reply on tiktok it's fucking hilarious but I'm going to address this now. It was made very clear 
during the interview process that the working hours for this position is between 9 to 5 p.m. Eastern time and I am on Eastern time. I made that very clear with HR because I have commitments outside of work. I go to the gym, I work out because I care about my health. Sure, I can make a sacrifice to go to an 8 a.m. meeting had I known at least a week before that I needed to go at 8 a.m., not a day before. Also, my workout class starts at 7.30, not at 8, but I didn't know that I needed to tell you that. Okay, let's just say I skipped the gym. Two things. When can I expect you to reimburse me for my class? And two, are you going to be paying me from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. or at the very least, let me leave at 4 p.m.? Natalie, if your answer to both of those are no, then there's no discussion needed. I will see you at 9 o'clock today. Also, yeah, I sent an email to HR about this and sent them the link to that TikTok video. So um, just to make things clear. Now, according to some people online, this kid actually wasn't the one that's involved in the situation. And the actual um, question that was read or the actual thing that the managers were talking about was more of an email um, from another person, like a viewer, basically. But they lent their, obviously, they, they spoke about it um, from a manager's point of view. So it's basically a hypothetical situation. Um, but they obviously kind of, you know, related it back to something they obviously have went through themselves. But let's just, you just take it on face value itself anyway. Because the details are boring and we just want to go on what we basically saw. I think the Gen Z kid is totally within the right to be like, hey, um, you know, an ATM an ATM meeting that gets announced lastminute.com shouldn't be something that I should drop all my shit for to attend. Especially if you're telling me lastminute.com. My hours of working are nine to five or nine to six. You should do meetings like everybody else does within the hours of when I'm meant to be working. That's how you basically, I think as even as a manager as a company, to ensure everybody attends, you should probably try to do your meetings within the hours that people are working as opposed to outside of those hours. Most likely, that's what I would do anyway, right? And the fact that people don't do that is odd. But I feel like unfortunately that does speak to the work culture there. And what that speaks to is that if you make that effort to attend those meetings, it will probably put you in the good graces of some people involved in that company and that could probably help you long term if you want to get a promotion if you want a pay rise if you want more responsibility if you want to move to another department that could probably help you because unfortunately again like i said before very rarely in workplaces is your are you rewarded for your levels of work? It's mostly about things that aren't really to do with actually what you do day to day. It's mostly about how nice of a person you are, how well, how well you get along with certain people. Maybe if you hand in your work on time, but it's really to do with the quality of your work. So maybe focusing on how you are seen by certain people can actually help you in the long term. But I think for yourself as an employee, you have to be pretty selfish and quite clear about what you can and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do and you also have to be aware though of the consequences that could have ramifications so if you do say no to those sort of situations you have to know that that could also mean the beginning of the end for you and that employment in that place they can make it hard for you um you could maybe just find yourself not being involved in a group because one thing as well that i find out about workplaces when other people see that you're not the favored one when other people notice that you're maybe a bit of an outcast, they tend to kind of pull away from you also because they don't want people to view them as an outcast as well. So they kind of just leave you alone. So you end up being kind of on your own little island. So you have to kind of know that. And of course, the other caveat of this is that the person started new. So when you started new, you kind of want to impress anyway. So there's always that kind of pressure to try to impress by doing everything and everything everything under the sun, sorry, to make people know that you're willing to kind of roll up your sleeves and work hard. But I feel like fundamentally at its core, 
a management or company, wherever it may be, calling an ATM meeting is is kind of similar to gross misconduct, really. To pull an eight may like there's nothing, there's no meeting that is necessary for eight a.m. I don't care. There is none. Even if the company has to go under, just announce it when we get in first thing. There's no reason why a company should need to have a meeting at 8 a.m. if you don't start at 8 a.m. It makes no sense. And usually I feel like, especially at that sort of time, I don't know about you, but most companies I've worked for in most offices, most human beings, especially normies, are not mourning people. Most normies are not mourning people. They're always coming, complaining that they're tired, holding a coffee cup in their hand, like a crack addict, shaking and shit. People only wake up until about 11 or a.m. in the morning. So having an 8 a.m. meeting is dumb because most people won't be on it anyway. So you're not going to really get much out of it. And most people won't actually even turn up. So it's dumb. So it kind of doesn't really make any sense. But I love the, I love the flipping balls on the Gen Z kids, especially when you started new, to be like, no, I'm not doing it. Or if I am doing it, are you going to reimburse me for my flipping class? I couldn't imagine, even in my most staunchest times of being a rebel at workplaces, I couldn't ever imagine telling my employer that I want them to reimburse me for my class. But then again, I'm also the person at workplaces or when I was doing interviews, I would always be very clear about having very, about having a very, you know, um, busy schedule um you know outside of work sometimes it can be a detriment sometimes i'm sure i've not gotten jobs because they might have seen me as somebody that lacked focus maybe i'm jumping around too much doing too many things outside of work and it's not going to make me committed to what i'm doing at work that might be an issue but i've always made it very clear to be very honest about the things i do outside of work and be very clear that hey these things i do outside of work i i love and enjoy and i'm not going to skip or you know miss them because of a work thing but i also know that it kind of hurts and i know one example is that one of the previous jobs that I had, which I had to leave in the end because, you know, it just was getting a bit too sticky and I wasn't really, I didn't really ingratiate myself with um, people over there. I was working in one place um, doing kind of social media management, basically the stuff that I've already done in terms of marketing or whatever it may be in terms of my experience. And when I started, there happened to be like a very organic viral moment for the company where one of their ads went crazy viral, on, I think on Twitter or something, right? And of course, at the time they went viral, um, everyone was trying to capitalize on that virality and that engagement and basically trying to put some money on ads and shit, whatever, just thinking of ideas. But it happened quite organically on the, imagine on like a Thursday afternoon, oh my God, this ad's all over fucking socials. Everyone's calling us about it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then on that same day, I think it was a Friday, it had to be a Friday, I had to DJ somewhere. And the place I was DJing at, I feel like was not close to where my workplace at. So it's like an hour journey. Usually that wasn't the case. Usually because I was always working within like trendy East London, like, you know, EC, East Central London, Liverpool Street area, all the places I was DJing in were usually within like a 20 minute radius of like Liverpool Street Station. But this particular gig that I had was like an hour away. So I had to leave on time, like at five. I couldn't leave like at half five or at six or even. But on that same day, that I had to go and DJ <laughs> this organic, this viral, this campaign that the company I was working for went viral organically on, on social media. They're trying to capitalize it. And obviously me being the social media manager, you know, they're looking for me for ideas and I have to execute some of those things. But I had to leave. And, but I'm also somebody that doesn't like to explain. Like, I don't want to sit there and kind of like almost beg for my supper to let you, like, it's no, like I finished at five anyway. So I just started getting ready and going right and i left i said hey guys i gotta go anyway bye and i could feel the the atmosphere change as i was leaving 
and I knew instantly when I left that building or when I got into a lift to go downstairs, I kind of knew this is going to be the end for me. Even I didn't do anything wrong, technically. I did, I did nothing wrong. To, technically, I did nothing wrong. I was well within my rights to leave at that time because that's my time contracted that I have to leave. But the fact that I left in the midst of those of that kind of like powwow of like, hey, what should we do to, to kind of capitalize on this kind of marketing thing? Da, 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 da. The fact that I left at that time definitely put me in a bad light and definitely was one of the reasons why I ended up having to leave there because, you know, I didn't really enamor myself with people in that company and they probably didn't see me as somebody that was serious, blah, 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 blah. So unfortunately again it's, it shouldn't matter like this it really shouldn't because the quality of your work should be important people should respect your free time all these things should be important but you have to be really cautious of it at workplaces that it's very rarely about what you know and what you don't know it's more so about you know how you act how you conduct yourself if people like you all this sort of nonsense shit that doesn't really matter is what really matters the most in corporate worlds and jobs in certain cases and you have to be very um knowledgeable knowledgeable of that and move accordingly but if it's not the case i think you also need to be clear when you start places at work i think most people know this i'm just speaking you know talking to the air really here but i feel like it's really important to be very clear about the things that you do outside of work and if you don't have to do anything but you want to be protective of your time i think it's also very important <laughs> to maybe lie about some shit you should probably lie about some shit because you know, having your entire schedule be open and free um, to do anything and everything for a company, they will take advantage of it and they will exploit you. So be very wary of like saying, yeah, I can do whenever, I'm free whenever, I can do this, I can do that. Because, you know, you say that too often, someone's going to take you up on it. And if you're competent, you know, and you're not a fucking redact, people are going to want to use you more often because you know what you're fucking doing. So I feel like, you know, be very be very careful of that, especially living in a place like London or in any sort of like Western country where the cost of living is super high anyway. Like the last thing you want to be doing is like killing yourself at work. And then, you know, you're not really gaining much from it anyway because you're still fucking earning the same amount of money, but then you're working over time. It just doesn't make any sense. So I love Gen Z kids for standing on their shit and not budging when it comes to all of that. I absolutely love it. Moving on disposable vapes to be banned for children health says the government absolute nonsense and again more indication that the uk is 100 percent unequivocally hands down the capital of the world in terms of countries when it comes to anti-fun we fucking hate anti we hate fun and we hate agency hey adults having agency Adults being able to do what fucking adults want? Nah, we don't want that. Ban vapes because of kids. Who fucking cares about the kids, bro? If a kid's out there smoking on a vape, that kid probably has bigger issues to deal with than vapes. If there's a kid under 10 years old smoking vapes on a daily, most likely their parents aren't the greatest. Probably doesn't have beasts of a mums or beasts of a dads. The fact that they're punishing adults for the recklessness of parents not looking after their children is absolutely crazy but again proof more so proof that this country is fucking anti-fun and just you know immune to having a good time immune to it immune to it. i fucking hate it let's read the article itself disposable vapes are to be banned in the uk as part of a plan to tackle the rising number of young people taking up vaping 
Measures will also be introduced to prevent vapes being marketed to children and targeted at underage sales. Prime Minister Richie Sunak suggested adult smokers trying to quit would still have access to alternatives like vapes under the proposal. The ban is expected to be introduced across the UK. It is already illegal to sell any vapes to anyone under 18, but disposable vapes sold in a smaller, more colourful packaging than refillables are the key driver behind the alarming rise in youth crime. What, in youth vaping? <laughs> there's an issue in... Bruv, honestly, there's, there's not an issue with youth vaping. You know there is an issue here in the UK? We've got the lowest number of fucking green spaces ever in recorded history across the UK. That means there's not many parks and open spaces for kids to just run around, touch butt, kick balls around, you know, roll around in the grass and just have a good time. Doesn't exist. Also, another issue, inner cities, no fucking um, after school programs anymore. No youth centres anymore. So if you're a kid that comes from a bit of a broken home, maybe you don't have many facilities at home, entertainment to kind of bid yourself with. Usually in most areas, especially areas I've grown up in, poor dilapidated areas like Custom House and shit, bang, bang, my CH gang, you'd have these little youth centres that have like studios, they'd have like internet rooms, they'd have like libraries, they'd have like places where you can kind of just sit down like a cafe type of area, whatever. And usually kids will be in there until the time it closed. Those places will usually be open from like 3 to like 7 p.m. So basically allow you to stay there until maybe your parents got home from work and you could use the internet. You might play on a computer console. It was so fun. Across the country, youth clubs are shut, which basically means all those kids who are basically on the fringes of society, kids who might come, might not come from stable homes, you're not in youth clubs anymore. Guess where they're at now? Guess, bitch, you guessed it. They're out on the streets. These kids that are meant to be in youth centres are now out in the streets with nothing better to do, still have time to waste because their parents are not home. And guess what they do? Bitch, you guessed it. They get up to fucking nonsense. So this government takes away all the funding for youth centres, closes down all the free green spaces, turns all the open spaces into fucking horrible, horrible, horrible new builds and apartments that most local tenants can't even fucking afford to buy. And then... In order to really change things, they decide to ban vapes. How about reopening the fucking youth centers? How about that? How about starting there instead of banning vapes? How about giving kids, how about giving the families of kids who are smoking vapes at seven more resources to fucking help them? Maybe increasing some of the money they're getting from the government. Maybe allowing them access to more after school care, whatever it may be. Maybe allowing them more access to fucking tutoring, whatever it may be, mental health, whatever. Maybe do that instead of just banning vapes and making them what? An illegal black market thing, which is going to be way more sexy anyway to do. Now, now vapes have never been cooler. Now that you're banning them, vapes are going to be even cooler than they were before because they've been banned. That's the actual dumb thing about the situation. Kids are going to be way more encouraged to do to vape because now it's illegal. <laughs> this government is fucking dumb as shit. It continues. Um, figures from the Action of Smoking on Health and Charity suggest 7.6% of 11 to 7 year teen. Okay, that's a pretty bad statistic. 7.6% of 11 to 17 year olds now vape regularly or occasionally up from 4.1% in 2020. <laughs> Yo, there's, there's fucking 11-year-olds vaping. Yo, the UK is fucked. The UK is fucked. There's 11-year-olds on the way to school vaping. This is why we could never be a country like, you know, 
um, Portugal that's decriminalized, you know, the possession of some class A substances. We could never be that country. Even weed. I've always said that this country could never legalize weed, you know, because we're just anti-fun. But could you imagine the amount of people that we'd have ODing on weed? Because we, we'd be the people here, we just take things to the extreme. We can never do things in moderation. I think people in the UK, we probably would be the first country in the world to record to have record of people ODing on fucking weed. We'd have people ODing on weed in this country because they couldn't handle their drugs. We're the, we're the home of people that can't handle their drugs or can't handle their booze. I don't know why it is about what it is about us. Maybe it's our fucking Victorian ancestry, right? Edwardian ancestry. Maybe it's the remnants of King, you know, uh, Henry VIII and shit, right? That era of people. But we are unable to fucking handle our booze, handle our class A's. It's quite disturbing. Um, it says here, Richie Sunak says, children shouldn't be vaping. We don't want them to be addicted. We still don't understand the long-term health impacts. UK Vape Industry Association said vapes had helped millions of adults and quit instead of cigarettes, turbocharging the black market. It says the risk. Mr. Sunak suggested the proposal struck the right balance between restricting adults for children, restricting access for children and maintaining access for adult smokers trying to quit. So they're going to ban all those single-use vapes or make them less, less appealing to kids. So I'm guessing they won't be color-coded anymore. They'll just be gray and black, but they'll still say mango delicious or some shit on the side, which is a nonsense. Vaping is, the same, is substantially less harmful than smoking, but it's not been around for long enough to get the long-term effects to be known. I think this is a bit of a misnomer. I think if they wanted to know if vaping was really harmful, they could find out. But I don't think they want to know. You know, that's part of the conspiracy I have. I feel like someone benefits from the sale of vapes because, you know, in every fucking off license that you go into, especially in London, every off license you go into, like a bodega, there's always somebody, there's always vapes. And they're, they're basically available from like five pounds upwards. You can get a vape and a fucking, you know, tobacco patch anywhere, tobacco pouches everywhere. So most likely somebody's benefiting from them, um, you know, financially. So the fact that they always say, oh, we don't know the long-term health benefits, it's like well, there's enough time now that they can research the long-term, um, you know, kind of negatives of smoking or risk smoking a fucking vape. The fact that they don't, I think is proof that they don't want to. Vapors that are inhaled can still contain small amounts of chemicals that are found in cigarettes, including nicotine, which is addictive but not seen as a health service, um, as one of the most problematic ingredients. The proposal followed last year's announcement on the ban of cigarettes to anyone born after the age of 2009. Former President Liz Truss criticized the proposed ban, describing it as profoundly unconstructive. I don't know, I might be in the minority, but I just think adults or even just drugs in general should be treated with a level of respect and just agency i feel like if you want to do shit if you want to get fucked up you should be able to do what the hell you want no one should tell you if you shouldn't do it or not and it should just go from there and if you end up falling on the wrong side of the tracks it is what it is if you're one of the donuts end up overdosing on a vape if you end up one if you're one of the donuts ends up being in the wheelchair because you did too many balloons you were bound to be in that position anyway. You know what I mean? It's natural selection. I don't understand this idea of banning things to save people. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. No one gets banned. No one gets saved because you ban something. If I want to get up to some nonsense, I'm going to get up to some nonsense. You know what I mean? Like that no no banning is going to stop somebody from indulging in these things. I feel like if anything, there should be more education around actually doing stuff safely. 
right? Um, harm prevention, doing drugs well. Like that's the one thing I don't think we've ever been taught, even in school, how to actually drink alcohol well, how to handle your booze, how to handle your liquor, like how to be a good drunk, how to be a good high person. Like you're not even taught that in schools. I think they should actually teach that more so than trying to teach abstinence because come on, no kid's gonna, no kid is gonna abstain from sucking on a really cool looking, you know, um, oblong shaped vape that's colored in lime green, right? No one's gonna stop not do that, especially when it's five pounds and everybody's puffing on one and all your favorite TikTokers and social media influencers are fucking sucking on a vape. What kid is not want, not gonna wanna try it? If that's the case, give them some education about how to do it well. Is it really that hard? Is it really that hard to give kids information on how to do drugs well? Like, I don't understand this. I really don't. But again, it's more proof that the UK is anti-fun. We don't like free agency. And whenever anything gets a little bit cool, a little bit fun to do, the first thing they do is knock it on the head. That's always the first thing they do. And it absolutely pisses me off. It frustrates me. And um, I'm shaking, actually. Talking about this, I'm absolutely shaking. And I wish it wasn't the case. But I'm also understanding. <laughs> Let's sorry, go sorry. sit this toilet. I, I'm also understanding. Oops, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you something. Here. As you can hear on, um, as you can hear on this thing, I'm gonna show you something. I'm also understanding because this country is full of absolute caners, myself included. It's full of absolute caners who have no level of self-control, who have no level of moderation. And if you absolutely do let the handbrake off, we're going to go crazy. And there might be some crazy circumstances. There might be some crazy consequence off the back of it. And you want a good example? Okay, I'll give you a good, a good example. Look at this video that I found on YouTube. Look at this video. Look at the title. The Snifflencer. Who rates public toilets for cocaine? Job Max of Britain. There's a girl on this little clip I'm going to play you who is a sniff influencer. She's an she's a sniff, which basically means she's a drug influencer, right? She goes around rating toilets around the country for their um, pros of using drugs like cocaine and shit. Like, has this place got like a nice table, like a nice flat surface, I'm assuming? Does it have like a good um, toilet seat that you can sit on? Is there plenty of light? All this sort of nonsense. This is what happens in the UK. Only in the UK could you get a sniff influencer. This is probably why they ban vapes because we are a nation full of absolute caners. And she doesn't look like a troglodyte. She looks like a very pretty young lady and she's out here being a fucking sniff influencer. Crazy. Let's play the video clip. Let's go sniff this toilet. <laughs> in Lon in Young sorry, in a YouGov survey, whoops, I missed that. I, I missed genuinely that. couldn't I missed, that. I missed that. I missed that. I missed that. In a YouGov survey, 18 to 24 year olds were the least likely to say cocaine was very harmful. Least likely. I genuinely couldn't even start to estimate how much coke goes through the city. From cafes to pubs to bars. Big up Matilda, or whatever her name is, hiding her face behind a mask and glasses. Like, come on, love. Come on, love. Just show your face. There is a crazy amount of coke 
I have, and I do work in uh, quite high-end hotels at the moment, and we do high-end hotels, aka the Shoreditch House um, conglomerate, the Shoreditch House Group. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly get quite high-end clients and so we have a lot of kind of well-known faces stay with us and so you see a lot of the coke usage anyway through housekeeping <laughs> it's a running joke. of course it's in broadwick street broadwick street if i'm not sure if you guys know but there's loads of twit tiktok accounts where they have all these kids in like really baggy jeans wearing timberlands and loafers and shit and you know doing funny poses outside of a pub or no there's actually a skit a meme now of these guys outside of a pub drinking a beer and having like lads talk while they're recording themselves on tiktok if you're wondering where the pub is this is the pub in london it's on bordrick street this is the pub they're facing so i've got brown tiles i'm sure some of you guys have seen the videos where they're just standing outside and they're like drinking and stuff it's really funny like all these little gen z kids have this like trend of like taking videos of themselves and smoke like imagine back when you go to a smoking area it's kind of fun to just start talking to randoms right maybe score a cigarette maybe just get some updates on what's going on in there maybe banter maybe try and pull whatever you're on smoking areas are really kind of fun even if you don't smoke just to kind of hang out now kids are turning smoking areas into fucking or the outside of a pub into a content farm it's fucking wild. So you're seeing people outside of smoking areas with fucking tripods. Can you imagine how things have changed? With some of the concierge team, who can find the most free drugs after some of these like high-end events. <laughs> can you imagine the amount? Because I remember somebody saying like, um, I think actually Uche told me the other day, um, or told us, I think on the stream, that I think in hospitals and shit, that's where you see a lot of drug use. Like people in hospitals like get on it. I'm imagining because of the hours and the pressure and shit, there's a lot of drug use. Um, obviously, restaurants, there's a lot of drug use also. But I, I didn't imagine in hospitality, in terms of like people that do like, you know, what do you call it? Um, people that change your sheets and shit. That's also a scene where people are into drugs because, you know, you you go into someone's room and maybe, I don't know about you, but I know, I've known of people, <laughs> maybe myself included, when you've gone somewhere abroad and you've got some drugs on you and maybe you don't want to take it back with you because you don't want to fucking smuggle stuff into your country and get arrested. So you just leave it at the hotel room or maybe you hand it. So usually sometimes if I have time, you might just go to a random bar and just give it to a bartender and see his fucking eyes light up. Like, oh my God, thank you. It's like, bro, don't worry. I, I'm not giving it to you because I'm, I'm fucking nice. I'm giving it to you because I don't want to get nabbed for fucking being an international drug smuggler <laughs> you know what i mean but can you imagine like it being a big situation within hotels that cleaners and shit are like big time caners and stuff that'd be wild in it like you're you know like imagine can you imagine that that being a thing in a scene like cleaning hotel cleaners are like unfortunately getting into drugs because they're just finding shit in people's hotel rooms and they've just got time to waste so why the fuck not <laughs> i mean little tab whatever because you just find shit lying around like that must be wild bro um cocaine is the second most used drug for 16 to 24 year olds after cannabis that's pretty that's pretty nuts though isn't it that's not good that isn't good at all 16 to 24 is your most formative years your frontal lobe especially if, as a boy as a man isn't even fully formed yet and you're doing weed and coke to that level that isn't good in it and again maybe it's the it's the old man in me speaking but fuck that's bad bro that's really bad <laughs> at that age 16 to 24 you should be really living life running free and instead you're getting fucked every weekend 
not remembering shit and your brain's getting fucking fried at the same time. Not good. Hi, yes. come in. Look at her. Look at her. <laughs> does she have an eating disorder as well? Or does she work out a lot? Because I've never seen somebody that canes as much as that and looks like this. Look how flat her stomach is. Look at her shoulders. <laughs> is she in like a CrossFit class as well? How the fuck are you doing that much drugs and you look like this? <laughs> and she lives in a house. She's not living in a trap house as well. It looks like a nice house as well. How the hell is that possible? I can basically walk. She's 23. TikTok drug influencer. TikTok drug influencer. She probably gets paid a pretty penny to do what to do drugs to do like four mmc um care coke md pills she probably gets sent a bunch of stuff probably gets invited to certain hotels to do meet content with them as well mad into any bar and someone will offer me a line i feel <laughs> that's a beauty of being a girl in it a beauty of being a, an attractive young lady is that you can go to any bar in london and somebody's always willing to offer you a line i don't i can't remember the last time somebody offered me any drugs let alone bought me a, a drink i can't remember the last time a guy or anybody brought me a drink with, that didn't have the intentions of like getting into my pussy I can't Im I can't think of a time where somebody offered me like just as a nice as a nicety. Hey, here's here, here's a line. Here's a here's a, here's a beer because you're just a nice guy with a nice smile. Usually it's because they want to, you know, they want to suckle your minka and shit. So the fact that a girl can get that with no strings attached is pretty good. What to, I, that's the one th if 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 I could have a day in a life, one thing I had a day in a life is like a day in a life with me in a week. I'd love to see what life is like me in a wig and a day to life right same body type just put me in a wig and i would love to see what life is actually like for the girl you know what i mean i wouldn't want to get railed or anything no i wouldn't want to go that far just to see what it's like perspective of a female having people open doors for you getting dog getting cat called and shit <laughs> let's see what that felt like you know being objectified having guys like undress you with their eyes or stare directly at your tits all the time I want to see what that life will be like. Walk into bars and restaurants, people are like, hey, giving offering you shit. <laughs> you like in London. Nah, 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 nah. Josie? Josie. Josie, please. You know I like you, but if you say that something like this again, I'm gonna have to ban you. <laughs> we would have to do more than just a wig. <laughs> <coughs> 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 <clears throat> oh my god i'm dying oh my god i'm dying my ch i've got the meanest chat in the world i've got the meanest chat in the world i've got the meanest chat in the world these people are awful they're awful people all of them <laughs> you have to do like la laserings <laughs> anyway whatever get fucked <laughs> and especially it's so normalized I think I've met less people that don't do coke than actually do it. I'm friend. She gonna? Is she just gonna start racking up on TV? Look, where's the shame? Where's the shame? This girl's gonna start racking up on in, on BBC, British Broadcasting Channel. I know it's BBC Three, but still, she's racking up on BBC Three on top of her phone. Wow, the lack of shame is crazy.
Francesca Sniffs. I'm a Sniffluencer and I rate toilets on TikTok based on how well you can take drugs in the toilet. It's basically a drug influencer. It's not like I want... Oh, wow. She has like a... No, I got. I might have to get into it. Does it? Is that? Are I looking at correctly? Does she have a a pair of CDJs in the background? Are those Pioneer CDJs in the back? She has. So she's she's a drug influencer, and she's also able to afford like what two thousand pound plus CDJ setup. There, I might have to get involved, mate. She's got a big TV, a nice big room. CDJs and shit, vinyl at the bottom there. What am I doing, man? I'm, I'm, that's what I should be doing. I should be a fucking snifflancer. I want to influence people to do drugs, but it's kind of a play on my, or maybe an over-exaggeration, or maybe it is just me when I go out. Nah, she's got to be a bit ditzy, innit? I don't want to influence people to do drugs, but my name is the snifflancer. The snifflancer. Huh? So kids now, even though they're influencers, they don't want to be influencers. I'm an influencer, but I don't want to influence anybody. What? <laughs> okay. There's a clip here from a TikTok where she's got pictures of herself. Toilets, the toilets. I sniff. An exquisite toilet to rail a fat line. Sniffability, 10 out of 10. Have you ever had accusations of glamorizing drugs? Oh, yes, all the time. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just want to know how she's able to keep so fit and thin. Maybe it's the, because she does, maybe because she's an actual druggie, she's actually absolutely able to like, you know, when you're doing drugs, the last thing you want to do is fucking eat. Maybe that's part of it, but how? Does she also have a membership to Equinox? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe she goes to the, maybe she's rated Equinox toilets really nice and they've given her a free fucking membership or something because she's fit as a fiddle how i like to think of it is what is the difference between me and a movie i'm <laughs> oh, i fucking love the hubris i love the fucking ego i fucking love it i swear i love these kids they're fucking the best um, what's the difference between me and like Scarlett Johansson? What? What? Excuse me? <laughs> um, what's the difference between me and some like Baz Luhrmann movie or something? Like, uh, yo, this girl is fucking nuts. But I love it. I fucking love the ego on her. I love it. Just entertaining. I think it's quite similar. What if children see all your yo she's actually doing fucking drugs on bbc this is even worse than vice vice at least to cover your face this girl's like bare face no belly no fucking shiesty on just on fucking bbc racking up lines on her phone also if you're a sniff influencer sniff influencer sorry don't you have a don't you have like a little setup like come on man this is some poverty fucking drug taking as well like on your phone don't even have like a little tray, a little like designer glass thing or whatever. Some utensils, some like, I don't know, what are they called? Um, proprietary utensils, proper whatever, accessory, something to fucking do your drugs on. You're just doing it on your phone like this. Like, so what? All the money's going to diesel bags, but you can't afford like a little bespoke tray.
maybe that's what I should do. I should start making fucking, you know, trendy bits and pieces. Maybe, you know, a nice 24 karat gold straw or something or whatever. But come on, man. Like, ramp up your setup a little bit. This is a bit poverty. I mean, that's, so it. that's it, Case of Moses. Paraphernalia. That's it. Paraphernalia. Big up, Case of Moses. Children shouldn't be on TikTok. Children love TikTok. <laughs> Children shouldn't be on TikTok. Um, isn't TikTok this exactly for kids anyway? Like what? And aren't you a kid? <laughs> oh, mate, this is. I like this though because I feel like Gen Z have like the classic. They have more classical airheads, and I feel like we need more. We need we need more classical. You know, diff, classical versions of what an airhead used to be nowadays i feel like everyone tries to be smart everyone wants to be intellectual everyone wants to be worldly everyone wants to have nuanced thoughts and hot takes i miss the days when airheads were airheads they just looked hot and they were just dumb as bricks that was the best thing because you know you're only here we only want to see you because of what you look like but we don't care about your thoughts on fucking ukraine you know what i mean like on society at large or the housing crisis or the fucking cost of living crisis. no we just want to hear you talk about hot shit working out partying having a good time drinks whatever i miss that era and i feel like gen z kids have way more classical classic hot airheads than we do millennials don't really have airheads anymore all the airheads want to be fucking lawyers and shit oh, i want to be able, i want to have my own business i want to be a girl boss nah fuck all that shit just be really hot look good in clothes look good out of clothes and make that your fucking breadwinner. What's what's the problem with that? That's not a bad thing. Being blessed with good genes that you're actually hot is not a bad thing. That's actually a blessing in itself. But trying to use that as like a way to kind of, um, I actually want to do more than just be all about my body. Is like, come on, forget that shit. Um, so I love the fact that she is, you know, double digit IQ, but she's killing it out here. Children do love TikTok, but children also watch Euphoria. <laughs> She's so fucking dumb. She's so fucking dumb. Oh my god, I love it. She's so fucking dumb. But it's so funny. I love it. <laughs> uh, okay, cool, man. Oh, cool. Cool. Almost every teen drama has some teenager snorting coke in the bathroom. What's the difference between that and me? <laughs> I blocked my parents on all social media. I blocked all of their friends. But somehow my dad had his work colleagues stalk me. Honestly, his reaction was not that bad at all. He's just like worried that I won't get a, a real office job. I think I have like 25,000 followers now on TikTok. So I guess I would say drugs are quite popular. Let's see how much you've worked, how much you've got on there. Because of the culture of the UK. How many drugs, how many followers you got on TikTok actually? She has 36,000. 36,000 followers on TikTok. God almighty, Snifluencer, I rate toilets. As you can see from her content on the TikTok feed, it's mostly her doing, you know, get ready with me while I go out and test this toilet, hangover stuff, outfits, in toilets, doing what she does best, you know? She's got a t-shirt that says get blow on it, got blow with a question mark. God 
damn it, Francesca. Killing the game. Killing the game. Hey, we're so proud of being functional drug users. No one wants to be the person who can't do it. It happens all the time, literally all the time. You think to yourself, I'm not going on it tonight. I'm not doing it. And then one of your friends ends up doing it or even just suggesting it. And you just completely turn 180 within a second. That's that, that's why having no friends is actually a benefit because you decide when you want to get on it. But that social pressure is crazy, especially in London, because everybody's on something, unfortunately. Um, and if you're not, you're just not outside. I think that's what you see as a difference. I think that's when you see a difference in shifting your friendship group, especially when people start getting older and start getting out of going out and stuff. Unfortunately, because this country's not built for people to hang around and do stuff that doesn't include drinking or doing drugs or eating. That's it. So most of the time, if you're if you want to abstain from that shit or you're sober or you just don't want to partake in it anymore, because it does get a bit boring and tiring to do the same thing week after week, weekend after weekend, um, you just don't go outside. That's actually the only way to stop yourself not getting tempted by all this shit. Just don't go outdoors. And even sometimes people are going to fucking dinner parties and shit. And, you know, after a dinner party and you get the desserts in and shit, people are already starting to get twitchy and looking for numbers and stuff of dealers they can fucking call a dinner party right a dinner party that starts at fucking 6 p.m all of a sudden turns into an all-night sesh it's just unfortunate nature of this country it's just rampant throughout and it's it, and again i think it's a weird place because i feel like even though they said cannabis is more popular maybe because of all the different forms you can take it in i still feel like by number or per cap or per like hundred per capita whatever maybe per hundred people i still feel like coke is probably still more popular because it seems to traverse um socioeconomic levels doesn't matter if you're the poorest of the poor of the richest of the richest it's the one thing that unites everybody type of thing you know there's always somebody um out there that can give you a line give you a number has a packet like it's quite rampant whereas i feel like joints and stuff aren't you don't really see people smoking joints everywhere. Maybe because you can't be smoking about dogs in the street anymore. Maybe because you can take them edib as edibles or whatever. You can mix it shit. But yeah, it's crazy how popular it is. And you can see a lot when you, especially when you go out and you're not drinking, you can see how prominent it is because people are, you know, the people that are on it don't fucking shut the fuck up. And they're super twitchy. And it's really crazy to go out at like a really brightly lit pub somewhere and just see like half of the people like, you know, nipping in and out of toilets every two seconds is quite crazy like we're full of we're full of absolute alcoholics and druggies in this country unfortunately um it just is the nature of the game maybe because of the weather and how dreary everything is the only way to really kind of live and sort of like function here is to kind of black out who knows but it is kind of sad i'm not gonna lie how crazy it is these are reportedly life-changing health i think issues. the majority of coke users in general don't think that they have a problem even when the problem is like severely, severely dire, most people tend to be in denial about it. So I think that also creates a big problem with actually having awareness of when things are starting to become a problem rather than just a bit of fun. It's addiction in general that puts people in denial. No one really wants to admit that they're dependent on anything. And even, I think less so about that even. I think it's more so the access to it now has gone, gone up tenfold especially with darknet especially with like groups like apps like telegram and stuff you can get a hold of really good stuff pretty quickly um even sometimes nowadays people are tending to use apps like telegram to actually meet 
IRL dealers to meet dealers in real life, sorry, um, as opposed to what it used before. Because before when Telegram popped up, it was sort of like a substitute for all the darknet markets that kind of went down after, you know, the seizures of Silk Road and Pirate, what you call it, um, and Alpha Bay and all these other platforms. Um, markets became very volatile and very sketchy places to go because people were scared to put their money on a market because you wasn't sure if it would get taken down quickly, especially when that big um, bust happened with... Um, I forgot the app. There was a particular encrypted, I think it's EncroChat. When the whole EncroChat thing happened before the pandemic or during the pandemic, sorry, a lot of those markets went under because obviously EncroChat was a main platform that a lot of these suppliers and dealers and stuff were using to kind of procure their items and shit. And obviously the police were able to infiltrate it and kind of bring down a lot of the networks of suppliers and shit. So it kind of went down overnight. And when other markets popped up, buyers became a bit wary. So Telegram was a good way to kind of get direct with other dealers and whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but nowadays telegram has now become like a one-stop shop for people to actually contact real in-life dealers so you can actually get reviews of stuff have, get good quality of things delivered to you or you can meet the person up um, decent prices so now the availability or the access to good stuff is basically you know on everybody's access have everyone access to it if you have a smartphone um, so it kind of makes it really easy to get shit and really hard to stop doing it. So the problem is that kind of tenfold nowadays, which is fucking crazy. But man, oh man, man, oh man, I can't imagine ever in my entire life being happy to just like talk with bare face to the BBC about drug use and also just be standing there doing it. Because at least with Vice you know, they kind of black out your face to let you wear a disguise and shit. This girl sitting in her house, like talking about all the stuff that she does, like while she's racking up on her phone. And during the interview, she's obviously clearly a bit higher herself during the interview for added authenticity. Um, but yeah, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine it. But most likely as well, you know, you. Could, I think there's there's almost a bit of a privilege involved as well to be in this kind of situation because, you know, I don't think a regular person that actually needs to work a job that actually needs to pay rent can be an can be a sniff influencer, right? You probably need to have a dad that works for fucking JP Morgan that kind of allows you to kind of do what you want and to find yourself and have a gap year or gap years um, for you to kind of get away with being a sniff influencer. Most of us have to kind of, you know, save our drug taking for the end of the month, the weekend and stuff, because we have to actually work at nine to five, whereas people like this can afford to do, you know, whatever they need to do in between so um big up this girl big up francesca an absolute g um for finding this solution for herself um if anything this is more further proof to me that if you're a kid nowadays coming up on the internet there really is no limit to what you can do this idea that you know there are hurdles in front of you that you know you're bound by certain things is not true there's literally a, an unlimited avenues of careers that you can kind of make for yourself you can actually legitimately you know make yourself into being a fucking drug influencer if that needs be there is really no limit and i feel like maybe when i was coming up on social media you definitely couldn't make a career out of being a fucking caner or something that really wasn't an option but nowadays you can so big up her and big up the kids coming up and again agency um, let people do what the fuck they want you know if it ends badly it ends badly but i feel like they should be able to do whatever the hell they want whatever the hell they want but again who am i maybe i don't know what i'm talking about maybe I'm an idiot who fucking knows who 
fucking knows. Moving on from that one, talk about this. Um, this is a crazy post, right? Um, that I've seen courtesy of Reddit, and I feel like this is very much representative of maybe the US as opposed to the UK, or maybe I'm just judging it more because I don't drink energy drinks or soft drinks in that regard I, the only time i really drink a soft drink is if i'm drinking it with some alcohol as a mixer and again i don't really drink that often enough i don't really have alcohol a lot in my house i don't really have loads of soft drinks available in my house so maybe that maybe might help me um but i found the whole energy drink situation in the u.s to be wild because it feels like people actually drink energy drinks as like a beverage not as what they kind of used for as like an energy drink type of thing caffeine replacement whatever they actually drink them as like a beverage as part of their meal and stuff it's fucking wild so this person on the energy drink subreddit there's an energy drink subreddit and this person posted the following post confession how many do you drink a day and if you're wondering what i'm describing it's a picture that shows rows and rows of full volume of fucking monster energy drinks in different flavors plus some other protein drinks as well available there on their fucking kitchen counter rows and rows and rows of it of just full of energy drinks every flavor that you can kind of think of monster available now <coughs> i've only had a monster once or twice but i know when i've had the original flavor monster one thing i remember realizing straight away i was like oh shit this thing actually works i remember feeling really jittery I remember it almost felt a bit like speed when I first had an, a monster. I was like, shit, this really actually does work. So I can only imagine what you must feel like when you drink this amount of monsters a day. Like, I can't imagine. Like, I could just about get through one tin and this person has like over 20. I can't imagine. But the caption is even more funnier for me, right? It says here, the caption on the Reddit. So I was talking to this girl who is an energy drink addict and she said that she drinks three per day three energy drinks per day i loved thinking that it was a normal amount i told her how much i drink and she said holy fuck i feel so much better about myself i have to drink i have drink i have to drink or i drink six to ten cans per day for 15 years six to ten cans of monster energy drink per day for 15 years my personal record is 37 servings 18.5 cans i really only drink water <laughs> when i go to the gym protein after and tea when i get out to eat other than that it's monster i started with green original monster drinks after being 110 labs overweight i switched to the um, low calorie cans but still imagine switching to low calorie can to lose like that just cut it anyway that's a mad logic um i buy six 15 packs every two to three weeks from amazon and my court and my convenience store does anyone else drink the same amount or more six to ten cans of energy drink for 15 years can you imagine what this person's insides must look like to drink six to ten cans per day this is equivalent to like drinking six or ten cans of Coca-Cola, which I could never imagine, especially now that my belly is so fucking allergic or doesn't really doesn't isn't really capable of handling many bubbles and shit. I can't imagine drinking or cracking open six cans of any type of fizzy, bubbly drink 
and it going okay for me the rest of the day. I'd be on the toilet all day. I can't imagine it. But again, this might be a little bit of a special American problem, not because, you know, it's a slight on you Americans, more so because you just have access to a wider range of like fizzy beverages. I feel like in the UK, we don't really have much options. Yes, there are some flavors, but I don't think we have this prolifera of options. Like you have a whole rainbow um, full of fucking monsters. You know what I mean? We don't really probably have all these flavors anywhere available. Even White Claws. We don't have all the flavors of White Claws you guys have over there. So maybe that part kind of helps us to probably abstain from this sort of shit. But I can't imagine being drinking this much levels of of energy drinks it's just fucking insane it really is it honestly is and can you imagine the amount of sugar that's contained in each can anyway forget the caffeine and shit the sugar contained in each can is probably enough in one can is probably more than your weekly recommended amount you're meant to have and then this person's having six of those cans minimum per day can you imagine can you imagine wild 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 i saw this i was like you know what i'm absolutely thankful that for some and again i don't know what happened to me body wise but i remember when we were when i was younger especially growing up with brothers and stuff like my parents used to always buy us like these like two three liter bottles of like orange aid like and these were sometimes when we were like poor and we had no money we wouldn't even buy like the legit orange like phantom shit it'd be like orange age from like audi and cola from audi or little and it, those things were like 90p back then and shit right like for a liter or two liters and stuff and we'd have that and we drink that the whole weekend so i'm actually happy that for some reason i don't know why it happened but towards my like you know late teens and early 20s i suddenly stopped drinking fizzy drinks I kind of switched to just drinking water and stuff and I was happy with that which is weird because again I had an entire childhood where I grew up you know having fizzy drinks um lemonade um you know orange aid cola all this sort of shit fan of fruit test and the fact that I kind of dropped off it and not and I don't really drink it as often anymore even orange juice and shit I don't drink it's kind of wild because I feel like you know already I have a sweet tooth anyway so I can't imagine how much of a big back I'd have and how wide I would be if I also was drinking cans of Pepsi or Coca-Cola every day. I couldn't imagine how huge I would be if that was the case. So I'm absolutely thankful and I thank the Lord above or the Lord of the universe, whatever, that I don't like fizzy drinks as much as I used to because when I did, it was peak. It was absolutely peak. So I'm happy that's not the case. But can you imagine drinking that many fizzy drinks? Honestly, like, like can you imagine? Fucking hell, mate. That is absolutely wild. I saw that and I screamed because I was like, you know what? I could picture myself on the toilet drinking those things instantly. I could just picture what I'd look like on the toilet and how worried and scared I would be. <laughs> that was in that situation. But yeah, big up, big up that user, big up that user. Switching tax and moving on to some dance music stuff before I end the show. Um, this is a really funny post, courtesy of the Berghain community subreddit. Um, recently, Skrillex was playing in Berghain once again, um, this time as part of the CTM festival. Um, he was playing, I think, back to back with a person called, by the bing, um, Tatiana Jane. And it's interesting because the reviews on the Berghain subreddit regarding this night say that he was playing the exact same set that he played at Pan. 
I think Pan had an anniversary party a few months back when it was a first kind of the debut of basically Skrillex playing at Berghain and people were kind of shocked and surprised at the fact um, but some people enjoyed the set but some people that went to that Pan party and that also went to this CTM festival sustained at Berghain said that Skrillex played the exact same setup or the exact same set which kind of is funny because I feel like this, that's something that's quite normal in EDM festivals, I feel like, or EDM parties. It's probably pretty normal for have artists play the same set. But I feel like outside of EDM, in any sort of other form of dance music, DJs are sort of required by definition to always be playing new stuff and having new approaches to their set and shit. You don't just play the same set. But I feel like in EDM, they treat DJs kind of like an artist, kind of like a band. So if you was going to see Arctic Monkeys perform somewhere, most likely they'd play the same set that you heard them play when you went to see them last year. They have like a set list they kind of go through, right? They have their hits and maybe if they got a new record out, they might play some of that stuff at the beginning. But usually there's a chunk of their show that you probably are quite familiar with because that's what they usually play at festivals or at gigs and shit. So I think EDM DJs are the same. They're not like DJs in a conventional sense where you're meant to record dig or you're meant to, you know, maybe put on some new artists and stuff where you're meant to maybe take some chances maybe you're meant to kind of quote-unquote educate the fucking um listeners or dancers it's a bit more dynamic but obviously with edm it's not but i was just thinking to myself like if you're skrillex it must get boring it must get even if you're him at that level it must get boring to turn up to clubs and just play the same shit know exactly where the cue points are know exactly where people are going to respond that play the same sort of fucking record the same not same sort the same exact records in the same order that must be so lame after a while it must be so tiring so boring to turn up to clubs and just play the exact same model same material again and again and again i couldn't imagine it i really couldn't imagine doing such a thing but maybe that's what separates those guys from everyone else. They have that level of professionalism where they can turn up and just play the hits and keep it moving. And maybe that's what the fans actually like. Because you, you look at some of the videos of kids at EDM festivals and parties and, you know, putting my snobbery hat to one side, you, you, get, you probably see more kids having fun at EDM parties than you see at kind of conventional boiler room live stream type events that are mostly catered towards maybe some stuff that's maybe cooler like techno. Kids have way more fun, it looks like, on camera at EDM festivals and parties than they do at any other techno thing that you see, unless it's at a particular kind of location. So clearly the music must be good. The vibes must be fun for them to be that ecstatic, or maybe it's just the drugs, who knows? But I feel like it definitely works for that customer base. Maybe they like the fact that when they rock up to see Skrillex play, they know he's gonna play a certain set. They like that familiarity. They don't. They actually don't want him to be performing an entirely new set and be mixing up, no, no, no. They want it to be exactly the same thing that they remember and nothing else. Maybe that's part of the beauty of um you know being a big dj in those type of environments that might be one of the reasons why they like doing those type of things who knows who flipping knows but big up skrillex playing at flipping burger uh, regardless i love the fact that it rattles and pisses off so many people um i feel like that's actually a good thing we need some of that um it kind of keeps stuff a bit fresh and hopefully we'll see more of that going forward but if anything i would like to see burger maybe trying out and 
you know, branching out and getting more people within that kind of sphere involved. Um, maybe Skrillex is kind of tired and get some other DJs involved in that kind of space or that kind of level because I feel like that kind of keeps the place a bit more fresh and kind of keeps it a bit more interesting instead of just having the same old dour head down sort of like DJs kind of playing having some of those kind of performers of that kind of level might actually mix things up a little bit and make things more fresh but again what do I know what do I know next up I will talk about Junction 2 Junction 2 lineup got released um Again, I've been there a couple of times. I think the first time that I went was pre-pandemic and I had an absolute blast. I would say it definitely is one of the better London festivals. Um, I typically don't like going to London festivals. I feel like London festivals are a waste of time, mostly because of the noise pollution laws and shit. If you don't know nothing about that, then basically the short description would be that a lot of councils in London have very strict noise pollution laws, which basically mean that you can't play music above a certain decibel um in most places and because because most open spaces are next to residential areas it means that you're quite limited on how high you can put the volume which means if you're as a punter when you go to these events you have to go right to the front of the fucking stage to hear anything if you stand at the back if you try and get some space to sit down and watch stuff sitting on the grass you can't hear shit or the sounds terrible so it definitely isn't good value for money even though you're going to see a lot of people for like 100 dollars 100 quid you know the volume ain't going to be great so i usually prefer to go to festivals in Europe or if anything try to go to a festival outside of London because sometimes the noise pollution laws aren't as strict here as they are in London but Junction 2 was different Junction 2 was different because it was based in Boston Manor Park and when I went to Boston Manor Park I hadn't been there before I went to Junction 2 Junction the first time it's basically a park next to a motorway freeway right it's basically next there so it's kind of near a residential area but also not but the good thing about it is that that motorway kind of oddly provides really good sound insula ins insulation. So basically the noise doesn't bleed out everywhere. So they can really crank it up a little bit higher. And I think as a visual aspect, being able to kind of be underneath this kind of, you know, flyway that's kind of going over your head and shit and seeing the cars zoom by while you're dancing and shit is a pretty cool um vibe especially when you listen to kind of like te techno-esque type of music. So that's always been a good time. But... I have to admit, the location is very far. It's kind of essentially like far, like the right at the end of like West London, as you can see with the, with the postcode. So if you live in London, especially in trendy parts of London, like I do, it takes like an hour or more to get out of there. And the security is fucking really aggressive and crazy to the point where they literally might stick your hand up your bussy. It's really, really dumb. So the security the flipping you know the the struggle to get there and back it just didn't make it worthwhile for me so i stopped it and to be honest the lineup as well got a bit shit and i feel like this year's lineup is probably around the same sort of thing it's a little bit underwhelming but maybe for some people they might be into it but for me it's not something that I would be willing to pay the money for. So on Friday, 26th of July, they've got Arbat playing, Camel Fat, um, Paul Clackenbrenner and Yotto. Um, on the same Friday, they've got um, Ahmed Spins and Mimin, um, Fidel's, Leila Benitez, Miss Monique and Para Fukova playing live. On the Saturday, you've got Adam Bayer back to back with Emily Lenz. I couldn't, you know, 
this is probably the worst type of back-to-back i'd ever want to listen to in my entire life maybe the only thing worse than this would be listening to fucking tiesto back-to-back with charlotte dewitt that sounds like horrible to me jeff mills again i wouldn't want to see in the festival environment i want to see him in a club so that's not for me john hopkins maybe will be a vibe daniel avery playing back-to-back with um sama abdullahayid not for me DJ High, I'm a big fan of. That would be probably good to see. Kessie playing, meh. Um, Kiki playing, again, meh. meh. It kind of in the lane of like the Avalon Nemesons and stuff. When you see them once, do you need to see them again? VTSS, probably the same sort of thing. Um, on Sunday, Barry Can't Swim playing live. The Blessed Madonna, who I'm a big, who I actually like, to be fair. I think she's really fun to go and see perform live. Um, and obviously has some decent remixes out there. So that might be a good thing. Honey Dijon as well is somebody who I love within the house. Um, vibes who might be great to go see and actually the sunday the sunday might be the best lineup to be fair it's more of a housey type of vibe but that sunday is probably good so far you got joy anonymous you got i had that i had a dream d Diggs, layla black and maria moxamia who's sensational she's definitely somebody to check out one, one of the best djs out here on the scene she's phenomenal and you got someone called suze um eljo playing so the sunday is probably the best night to go to i think the friday and the saturday are probably big misses but for the price of the tickets it's going to be a hard one to justify because i'm sure they're like a hundred pounds or plus maybe like 60 i think per day but again for the distance to travel it takes like an hour to get there um the fact that i think lately people have been saying the noise or the the volume hasn't been as great as previous years i'm not too sure if it's worth it that's the only thing that i'm a bit dubious on but if you are from London or if you're willing to make the trek to London and you're looking for a festival to go to, I would still recommend it. I feel like for London festivals, Junction 2 still is one of the best. I've I've not listed all my things I don't like about it, but I still feel like regardless of that, I feel like the organizers still go out of their way to really put on a good sounding festival because like I said, like there's so many festivals here in London every fucking year, but the volume the sound on them is so terrible um i don't know how people justify spending the money to go i guess some people would rather save the money and travel but i would rather spend money to travel elsewhere accommodation spending money than to go and you know listen to something that i have to go because the, the last thing you want to do when you're at a festival is stand right next to a stage to listen to stuff i think that's annoying that's not the right way to kind of engage with festival and the shit i don't want to do that so the fact that you have to do that is fucking frustrating so if you don't want to do that and you want to stand in your own little spot find your own little zone hang out and shit i think junction is a good one and also if i remember correctly when i went last time um even though the token situation is a bit annoying i feel like they have so many bars there that you don't end up waiting a lot and i think that's another thing that can kind of you know kill your vibe when you have to stand around for a long time waiting to order drinks but junction two from the last time that i remember going they had drink um bar they had bars basically everywhere that you can go and get a drink and a beverage at so i do recommend going there but also be aware security is incredibly hands-on so if you do bring some cheeky shit in make sure you hide that very well if not they're definitely going to find it and they're definitely not going to let you in because I saw many people get turned away um, or sometimes get fucking pushed away because again, they were really aggressive. Like they took us to another little tent. They were searching everywhere. Like it was fucking crazy, but you know, it is what it is. It kind of is what it is. So big up junction two, big up junction two. Um. Anyways, that has been the end of the Agassino's English show episode number 
one what is it? I think it's one eight two or something. I forgot what the number is. Seven four two actually. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to have your company. Today, my tune of the day is obviously going to be Skepta, Don't Gas Me Up. If you haven't checked it out, please make sure you do. Um, Gas Me Up by Skepta is going to be playing as my song of the day. So if you want to hear that, if you listen to the audio side of the podcast, if you're watching via the live stream, you won't hear anything, you'll fade to black. And I'll see you guys again very soon. But for now, peace. Yeah. We don't get angry, we don't get even We don't talk about beef by the way that I mentioned I just turned vegan I need the pagans breathing so they can see my new top boy season I need the pagans alive so they can all see that it's still my time I don't know why they act tough online I see them outside and they ain't say nada Soon as you say on site we looking for you like some vintage Prada Looking for you like some archive pieces Jealousy in the ends They hate when you become successful but in the trenches we were all friends How long we trying to pretend? I know they love to see me do well but only when it benefits them Is it about money or is it about girls? Either way I'm threatening men See just text said diligent Yeah cause the outfit's making sense I told him it costs to be the boss And to be this fly is the same expense And we just went triple platinum Check the digits Most these brothers is tired and washed up bro But they won't admit it How many times have I dumbed it down To make a boy feel like he's on my level And I ain't talking about kettles I ain't talking about precious metals I'm talking about taking a year out Still I can't see no competition Can't see anyone threatening my position Told D I need a chauffeur Cause I'm so driven Should be in the backseat with both hands free Right hand making blaze on the iPhone And my left hand gripping on a BB It's me Praise the Lord for the life I'm living Big smoke records alive and kicking Dinner in Milan with the finest women And none of us sexing Nah I'm just Chilling. Your taste level is my waist level You ain't never heard of the wine I'm sipping Heard you say this year's your year Then you better hurry up boy time is ticking I need a car that don't decline every day's a party I'm with my brothers and my choppers and my charges And we're still the same ain't nothing change except the car keys Vroom vroom I told her to gas me up I need a gasoline I'm trying to slide it in Just like a cash machine I made a million on this phone with a cracked screen So don't be around the bush, please say what you mean Green.